Hi, everyone, and welcome to Phoenix International Raceway. It is race day, the Subway Fresh Fit 600 NASCAR Sprint Cup race getting underway in just about four and a half hours for the one-mile oval here in the Valley of the Sun. And speaking of sun, that's what we have. We're looking for a high temperature of 89 degrees. And welcome to the special broadcast here on the Power Up Motorsports channel. I'm Larry Henry, host of Pit Pass USA. Mike Knight from the Race Reporters will be on uh, next time. We're going to keep you uh, up to date on what's going on here at uh, PIR. Also talk to a, a lot of different uh, people here today. We're going to hear from uh, Kyle Petty later on. I'm uh, going to hear from Roger Penske, uh, Chip Ganassi, David Reagan, uh, Jimmy Johnson, and many, many more people. So stay with us. Right now, I want to get you caught up to date on what's happened so far. Last night, the uh, NASCAR Nationwide race ran here at uh, PIR. And what a wild and crazy race with just over 50 laps to go. Looked like Kyle Busch was going to win it. Then they had a restart. And Brad Keselowski was running second past him, it looked like, before the start-finish line. But NASCAR said, no, Kyle Busch didn't go when he was supposed to. They left it. Brad uh, in the first spot, but they immediately had another yellow flag. So another restart. They start side-by-side. Side. This time they say Kyle Busch jumped the start. He gave back the position after a couple of laps. But NASCAR said, nope, that's not good enough. They uh, black-flagged him, a drive through penalty. Suddenly Kyle Busch who's led over 100 laps, is running 19th. We're down to 50 laps to go in this race on this one-mile oval. Well, he, he's done. He's toast. Well, a caution comes out late in the race. Everybody pits. Well, on this one, he's going to get back in the right position, right? Well, he runs into his teammate Joey Logano in the pits. That doesn't help anything and really hurts Logano, who is leading the race. So Kyle comes out, dent in his car. They go back to the green flag, and he's suddenly complaining, my gearbox is going, we're done, and he spelled it D-U-N, so he's got a little remedial uh, spelling to do. And lo and behold, suddenly, he's up front passing Brad Keselowski. Keselowski fades to third, Kevin Harvick finished second, and Kyle Busch, somehow, he's won again. I come back from our, our pit road mistake where with Joey. I hate it for Joey. I feel bad for him that he had a good enough car starting on the front row that should have won the race, but uh, we were able to make it up through there. and. Uh, restarted 10th or something and, and made our way up and passed those guys for the lead. So really, really cool night, and uh, fast race car will get you there. I guess it will get you there. And for Kyle Busch, he has seen this before, especially here at Phoenix International Raceway. As far as the excitement there at the end of the race, I mean, what a show. Uh, it really was. Uh, what I can remember was I think Denny here last fall or something like that had to come from behind, you know, and um, he came off a of turn four and got side-by-side -side with Carl or somebody for the win and just missed out by about a fender. But, um, you know, he came from, from far back, too, and had an exciting race from what I remember. So, um, you know, it's as far as me winning something like that, it's it's been a long time if I can even remember anything like that. So uh, really, really cool to do. Uh, I was, it was neat the way the outside lane opened up. You know, everybody was too wide and on the bottom and in the middle, and there was still another lane up there. So I just took the outside and said, here we come. And uh, the car stuck and drove up through there, got by all those guys. And when he did his burnouts after the race, he actually, the left rear tire was nothing left when he's sitting on the straightaway. He had rims, and that's how he limped into Gatorade Victory Lane on rims on the race car, and why not? Brad Keselowski did finish third, and he took over the points lead. Of course, today, we've got the Sprint Cup cars on the track, and how about this? The 43 car, the famous car of uh, Richard Petty, and it's Richard Petty Motorsports, A.J. Allmendinger, an open-wheel guy. Well, he puts it on the pole in his Valvoline Ford, his first pole ever with uh, a lap of 134.675. He beats out Scott Speed, who's driving for the Red Bull team, who fired A.J. Allmendinger not that long ago. So it's got to be extra sweet. Scott put up a great lap. He, I knew uh, after watching him run that 
it was going to be tough to get him. I mean, he uh, every, at that point everybody's kind of running high 26s, and he stepped there and, and ran a 26.79. And uh, you know, I, I knew the Valvoline Ford. We were going to be quick. We were quick in practice, but. You go out there, you just don't know how much grip's going to be on the racetrack. And, uh, you know, I knew I was going to have to get everything out of it to uh, to get up there and, and have a chance at beating them. And, you know, for us, I felt like uh, as the years went on so far, these first six races, that we kind of – we'd been getting better on Fridays and Saturdays, but we just would miss qualifying a little bit, and that would kill us at the start of the race. And, uh, you know, as everybody knows, you just get in mid-pack with these race cars. Everybody's so close that it's tough to pass. So I felt like, uh, you know, if we could just get a solid top ten start – it was going to help our race tomorrow. We were, we were decent in race trim, but we need to be a little bit better. But, uh, you know, everybody on the 43 team, Mike Shiplett and all the guys, they worked hard. And, uh, you know, it, it's a small victory for us, you know, to get our first career pole and, together. And, and uh, start up front's really cool, but the big picture's tomorrow, and that's what we're focused on. And that is what he's focused on, A.J. Allmendinger with his first-ever pole, but he wants to get his first-ever NASCAR Sprint Cup win, and especially in that 43 car for Richard Petty Motorsports. What does getting that first pole mean for him? It's just so nerve-wracking when you go into qualifying, especially, I mean, with, with how close everything is. You just make one little mistake, you know, it seems like you lose 20 spots. So, uh, you know, I just wanted to put a solid lap in, and, and I felt like we've been showing that we've been getting quicker, and, and unfortunately the results haven't turned into that. We've been caught up in a, a lot of other people's mistakes, and, uh, you know, we're 26th in points, and we definitely belong a lot higher in points. So, you know, I told the team that this is a, a key six-week stretch before the All-Star break if we can – go out there and and have good runs every weekend and we can get around top 15 in points 15 16 right there i think we can go into the all-star break knowing we got a chance at the chase so uh that's our goal that's his goal aj Almendinger in the uh, valvoline ford for richard petty motorsports on the pole scott speed and the red bull toyota he will start alongside how about sam Ornish jr the former open wheeler indianapolis 500 winner driving for roger penske he will start third marcus ambrose from down in tasmania down in australia he will uh, start fourth dale earnhardt jr is today that he finally gets a win it's been two years and that was a fl- uh, race at uh, Michigan International Speedway he won where they had a long caution. He was able to limp around uh, with enough fuel to get going. Joey Logano, Juan Pablo Montoya, Martin Truex Jr., Carl Edwards, Jeff Gordon rounding out the top ten. So that kind of gets you up to date and you can hear some of the engines in the background in the garage area. They're warming them up, getting ready, everybody going through their final technical inspection before they take the cars out to the grid today to get ready for the Subway Fresh Fit uh, 600 here at Phoenix International Raceway. We're glad to have everyone on board for our special Power Up Motorsports Channel broadcast. I'm also very very pleased to have the gentleman that's alongside of me. He's from EAR, Mike Benavides. Uh, Mike, talk a little bit about what EAR is and why you're here helping us out today. Well, basically, uh, EAR is a company that's been in the Valley for 32 years. Um, we basically supply uh, high-definition uh, audio and video, as well as streaming products. Uh, we also uh, have uh, brought out a uh, product today uh, that uh, will go ahead and incorporate all the live streams that we have here, and uh, we'll have a, a nice uh, uh, end product. You, what you're talking about is the TriCaster, which I, I, I'm in love with. I, you may not get out of here with the one you've got here, but it's basically a production studio that is in a box that would fit in a backpack just about and we do anything that a production truck could do that's correct that's correct um it's a 
pretty much uh, you know first of its kind. Um, it uh, will incorporate both uh, live audio and video, uh, all the way to uh, HD recording, and uh, give you some uh, basically everything that you would see on on a broadcast uh, in one box, 15 pounds. So. And today we're incorporating that with what we're doing here in the Power Up Motorsports Channel. When all is said and done, people are going to get to see. Unfortunately, my ugly face uh, from today's uh, broadcast, but also the videos and various things we're doing. So you're helping us out by recording. You actually walked in with like a duffel bag, and that was almost all the equipment you brought with you. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, you know, uh, been in this uh, business uh, for a little while, and uh, yeah, that's a, it's a great feeling to just uh, put a bag over your shoulder and know that uh, you can broadcast live from any event. How many live events have you done? I mean, this is probably a first for you here at Phoenix International Raceway. I mean, this is something that we've been working with the track on to, to set up what we are doing here today. But what types of events have you done? Well, uh, you know, uh, TriCaster and, and actually the, uh, the new tech company behind them uh, has done everything from uh, the NBA uh, All-Star Game from Phoenix, as well as some other local events. Uh, EAR has been uh, integral in both bringing uh, corporate uh, video and audio, as well as live sporting events. And I know uh, when New Tech, you mentioned them, uh, they recently came out with the HD model, which you brought here today, so people get to see all the, the wrinkles and my gray hair and all of that in high def uh, when we post the video up online. But when they came out with us, they tricked out a, a Mini Cooper with their equipment and put a satellite dish on top and had a complete high-definition television. So I kind of freaked out when I saw that and saw the video from it, but it, it's kind of neat what they can do, and I know we're looking at various ways of incorporating that with the Power Up Motorsports channel to get more and more involved and looking at live racing events that uh, possibly can be done with this because you can actually go anywhere. That's correct. Uh, and then, you know, with the incorporation of the uh, you know, higher bandwidths, uh, we're able to uh, be truly wireless. So um, we shall see uh, in November, we'll actually be uh, broadcasting wirelessly uh, with a dish similar to the one on the Mini Cooper. And, uh, yeah, it, it should be a good time. Yeah, we were hoping to do that this time. But un unfortunately, uh, we just didn't have the bandwidth right now, getting things set up. But they are going to get to see all the video from uh, this weekend. So that's that's going to be very exciting uh, to see what happens uh, with that and to be able to do that from here in Phoenix. Uh, I think my friends back home in the Detroit area would just be envious. I know I've gotten a lot of really nasty email in the last few days talking about the weather here, that it's been uh, been sunny and, and very, very nice. But uh, it it'll really give us a chance uh, with the video uh, come November if all goes to, together to show people what this is, what the atmosphere is uh, of the racetrack. Yeah, one of the best thing about it, too, is that, uh, you know, the production time actually goes way down. So uh, we'll actually be able to get this video out pretty quickly. And uh, right along uh, with, uh, you know, Voice America, uh, we'll be able to put that on uh, pretty soon. Oh, it's going to be great. And uh, the things that we can do and bring to the Power of Motorsports channel uh, and Voice America, uh, just limitless. And we, we've got a lot of wild and crazy ideas that uh, we want to come up with and uh, and do uh, using the TriCaster technology and also partnering up with the AR. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're we're looking for uh, a lot of great things uh, together, uh, especially because of the uh, you know the ability uh, again with technology to be able to bring this stuff live. Uh, we're able to bring in all the elements that you would expect just uh, you know watching TV. Uh, now people will be able to bring that in wherever they are, uh, even on their uh, iPhones or other mobile devices. Yeah, it is incredible what things can do. Well, we thank you, Mike, and everyone at EAR for coming uh, on board and helping us out uh, this weekend. We're looking forward to. Uh, 
seeing uh, how it all comes out and uh, how I look in uh, high-def television uh, when we get done. That, that's, that could be scary uh, when all is said and done, but we've got to, we, we thank you. And we've got a lot of guests uh, coming up. In fact, next segment, we're going to be talking to Pat Suey, who is with GM Racing. He is the NASCAR group manager. We're going to find out exactly what does that mean. What do the car manufacturers actually do for these race teams you see on Saturdays and Sunday in NASCAR? We will hear from Pat Suey when we return to our special edition of Pit Pass USA here on the Power Up Motorsports channel from Phoenix International Raceway. IndyCar Racing to Powerbooks, the Formula One and NASCAR. You're listening to PowerUpChannel.com, your motorsports channel. Listen for the right turn with J.J. O'Malley. It's an insider's look at America's fastest-growing motorsports series, the Grand Am Rolex Sports Car Series, presented by Crown Royal Cask Number 16. You'll hear about what happened last weekend and get a preview of what's coming up next from the Rolex 24 at Daytona through Watkins Glen International, Mid-Ohio, Laguna Seca, right up to the championship at Homestead Miami Speedway. The right turn with J.J. O'Malley, broadcast live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Power Up Motorsports Channel. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Phoenix International Raceway. It is race day, the Subway Fresh Fit 600 NASCAR Sprint Cup race getting underway. So you're starting a little earlier, but you added 63 laps, so we're going to be finished in those dark conditions. Yeah, Larry, it was really important for us uh, to make sure that we preserved uh, approximately the same amount of evening and nighttime racing uh, for the Subway Fresh Fit event that we've had traditionally. And so when NASCAR approached us about uh, the need for the industry to move to um, uh, start times that were consistent across the series, you know, we're obviously going to support that. Uh, but it did present us with a little bit of a dilemma in terms of making sure that we had enough evening and nighttime racing. And so we worked with NASCAR, and uh, they were great. Uh, they totally understood the issue and uh, helped us uh, by extending the event uh, 63 laps or another basically 100 kilometers. Uh, so now we have the fresh Subway Fresh Fit 600. So I'm still getting used to saying that, but I think the fans are going to enjoy 63 extra laps. And, you know, from a strategy standpoint, wow. I mean, I, I really think it's going to change uh, how the drivers and the teams approach this event. Uh, we were looking at at least another pit stop, maybe two. Um, and, you know, gosh, anything could happen in those uh, those laps. You mean something like happened last night in the nationwide race <laughs> when Kyle Busch winds up 19th and suddenly he winds up winning after hitting his teammate, after saying his transmission was gone, and he suddenly rolls to the front of the race? Yeah, wasn't that amazing? I, uh, I got to tell you, I think that's one of the better finishes that we've seen here at Phoenix International Raceway over the years. And, uh, you know, Kyle's an amazing talent. We've all seen him... Uh, and what he can do behind the wheel is uh, is really, really incredible. But uh, last night was something special. Is there anything the fans should be looking for out here at, at, at PRR? Maybe something new or, or a little different? Well, I think from a competition standpoint, Larry, you touched on it. Clearly, the, uh, the extra laps are going to be critical. Uh, of course, we are having the uh, debut of the spoiler now on uh, the, new, the new race car. So it'll be interesting to see if that. I've, I've heard mixed uh, reports from the drivers on what uh, impact that might have. Um, I think, you know, this track is really the first test 
uh, in terms of aerodynamics uh, for the spoiler and the COT. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that uh, that plays out. And uh, from a competition standpoint, I, I'm ready to get this party started. I can't wait to see the guys take the green. I am too. I'm looking forward to it. And I tell you what, I like the spoiler because they look like real stock cars yeah. again. Okay, I'm prejudiced. I admit it. I like it. I do, too. Uh, it makes the car look a little more racy, I guess. Well, Brian, uh, thank you for your hospitality. We really enjoy doing this and partnering with uh, Phoenix International Raceway to do this here in the Power Up Motorsports Channel. Great location here. We're on the patio. We're overlooking things. Beautiful skies out here. Beautiful weather. I, we can't ask for much more. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, we're going to have a great race tonight. And, uh, hey, just enjoy the day. Well, thank you very much. And, everyone, uh, stay with us. We've got a lot more coming up all the way until 7 o'clock. Pacific time out here at Phoenix International Raceway with our special broadcast here on the Power Up Motorsports Channel. Gentlemen, start your engines. Tune up your motorsports knowledge. Power Up Motorsports Channel. Welcome back to our uh, special live broadcast here on the Power Motorsports Channel from Phoenix International Raceway. It is race day. No better day in all of racing. Getting away for the Subway Fresh Fit 600 NASCAR Sprint Cup race. A.J. Allmendinger on the pole. The gentleman beside me right now would like to be on the pole, but... Uh he just wasn't quick enough. Scott Passmore from KTVK, uh, Channel 3 here in town. Good morning, Arizona. You're a racer, and good morning, or I guess it's good afternoon to you. Yeah, it's great to be out here, huh? It's going to be a little warm, but uh, hopefully once the sun goes down, it's going to be an awesome night for racing. Now, you've been out here, and you understand Phoenix International Raceway. Can you? What do you tell people uh, about this facility and the racing, being here and have, having seen so much of it? Well, if, if you talk to people who have never been out here, I don't think they understand uh, how large it is and how it becomes a city in itself. I mean, you got people coming in from all over the country with their motorhomes and trailers and, and uh, staying for the week and setting up camp. And then you got folks who love racing so much, they sit up on that hill up there on a rock in the sunshine, and they'll get up here. I mean, here we are four hours from race time, and they're, they're still already up there. So it, it's just it's fun to explain it to people what racing's like. And then, of course, you got the racing itself the smell, the, the sights, all the beautiful cars, the bright colors, all the different sponsors and the speed and the noise. It's just a blast. I mean, every facet of racing, I think, is really cool. And then and then you got people who don't understand it, like, you know, some people I work with, they go, well, you just turn left. I mean, what is there to <laughs> racing? Who, who, anybody can do that. Well, there's so much more involved to racing than that. And if, if you really watch it on TV and read about it and pay attention to the setup and how things change from week to week to week and the problems they encounter during pit stops and during the race, I just think it's fascinating. You know, you were talking about the people who are out there on the hillside. I was down here at the front gate, and I was watching. There were three people, and they were coming across the long bridge that comes in from Allendale. Yeah. And this one guy is pulling this wagon. It is loaded to the hilt. Right. The two of them have the, the, the pool, the, right. the coolers that pull. Right. And then I see them come all the way down. And that bridge is forever. I right. mean, oh, that's yeah. a long oh, way. That is. Then they come in. That's long in a car. And then they're going up the hill. Right. This guy's got it. I'm going, I like racing. I'm not that dedicated. Yeah, I, I, they take care of me because we go live out here. If I had to do it any other way, I, I don't know if I could do it. But you're right. I've seen people in the be behind, you know, like over in turn two. And the same thing, pulling the wagon, pulling the kids, coolers, you know, umbrella. And they got to go all the way around the track. It's crazy. 
Right, absolutely. This is retiring to Scott Passmore from KTVK. Good morning, Arizona. Get to see him. I was watching you yesterday morning out here. You were having a good time. You went into Robbie Gordon's. I won't say motorhome because it, Michael Andretti has one similar to that. It's actually the complete semi. Yeah, it's a trailer, and he's got the semi unhooked from it. But he does things a little different. A lot of the drivers are down here, and he's an owner driver, of course, you know. So he's got all his sponsors, and they're out on top of the on top of the trailer. But he was so nice. It was seven forty-five in the morning, and I said, "Hey, Robbie, can we do a little bit with you?" And he's like, "Hey, how about I uh, act like I'm still asleep in bed?" And I'm like, "Who? What driver does that?" I mean, let's face it. I mean, most of the guys are not going to be that accommodating. Well, knowing Robbie, uh, and I've known him for a long time, he was just getting in yeah. <laughs> at 7.45 yeah. in the morning. Yeah, you might be right about that. He's he, a good guy, though. And I, the, one, the one reason I, I really like him, he's into off-road. I love off-road stuff. I go to the dunes a lot, and uh, so he's into that, and, and I like that about him. Well, you've raced a lot, and you're still racing some? No, I, I stopped uh, a, a year before Manzanita closed, but I, I started racing at the age of 40. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately uh, with a mini sprint, and then I moved up to sprint cars, the 360 sprints, and I did those for four years, and uh, I quit a year before Manzi closed. Wow. I thought I was insane enough. Uh, I actually graduated from Skip Garber Racing School once upon a time. They were dumb enough to actually say, you passed. Uh, and, and I actually had a professional license for a cool. short time, which is really scary. Uh, but uh, I, I realized I suddenly had a whole new understanding of what drivers did. Right. And I'd been around racing and broadcast Indianapolis 500 and broadcast races around the world. And suddenly I had a different insight into what these guys, they are so incredible. They crash every lap, but they don't crash. You're right about that. And, and didn't you used to be one of the fans up in the stands who would sit there and go, I could do that. Yep. I, I know because I know 99 percent of the guys drinking beers up in the stands are saying I could do that. But you get in any kind of a yeah, you, uh, you get in any kind of a race car. Uh, and you find out the difference. Oh, it, it is incredible. And these guys here are so skilled uh, at what they do. Uh, Jimmy Johnson yesterday, who is actually, he's incredible. He has won four of the last five races here at Phoenix. On his qualifying run, he is sideways coming off a of turn four because he's right. trying right. to get the pole or a yeah. better qualifying position. He doesn't touch anything. He's sideways right. and at, not, what, si- 100 not, some miles yeah, an hour. I was going to say not sideways at 40, you know, 50, like maybe would happen to the rest of us but yeah that kind of speeds and and then to straighten it out and keep your composure it is it is remarkable it really is what do you think about the, this field now that we see in nascar sprint cup where we're seeing some of the older guys i mean mark martin is still there and still doing well but gosh so many of these 18 19 20 and 21 year old kids and they're good they're absolutely terrific. I, I think it's cool how we have different drivers from different fields, different backgrounds, uh, you know, from open wheel. I think that's really cool to see them come in here and try to compete with these guys. But the young guns are amazing. The talent they have to think how early they, they have to start racing and to get to this level at such a fast pace. When you think about all the amateur drivers out there across the United States doing dirt track racing or pavement racing who would love to be at this level, and you know there are a lot of good drivers across the country but never get here and then you got guys like uh you know kyle bush who last night was just amazing i've never seen anything like that in my life yeah i could kind of go back to brad keselowski because i know him I, he's from my area of michigan i know his mom and dad real well and his older brother brian and it was he raced and raced and he got one break in a truck right, race right where he subbed and without that break 
he's not here driving for Roger Penske. He's not running in the cup. He's not winning at Talladega. And there's a lot of talented drivers out there that never get that one moment, that one break, which has just got to eat it at some people saying, I know I'm as good as them, but I can't get the break I need. Well, it's just like Carl Edwards. I mean, he grew up in Missouri where I'm from, and he used to race on the dirt. And, you know, when I used to be down at Manzanita, guys that would just literally kick my butt, I'd think, God, why can't they be out there? They're so talented. Uh, guys like Jeremy Sherman, who would never lost, uh, and but just never never got that break you're talking about. Okay, who do you pick today uh, in this race? I mean, as I said, Jimmy Johnson's won four of the five. Hendricks won the last six here at Phoenix. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I hate to go with just such a common name, but I, I'm going to pick Jimmy Johnson again. <laughs> uh, it, it's just I'm baffled week after week how uh, those guys can put it together and nobody else can stay with them. I know what he did. He sold his soul to the devil. <laughs> I, I am completely convinced he sold his soul to the devil. Uh, because, okay, they're good. I give them that. They are right. excellent. I mean, they, they prepare. But then they have luck along the way. Okay, they yeah, always say preparation yeah. meets luck and all this. But they're just, he sold his soul to the devil. That's my only answer. Right. Well, and, and the other thing is those guys never give up. It's just like last night's race with uh, Bush. Talk about, I, I thought for sure there was no way he, he would have enough time to come back. And you get a couple lucky breaks in the pit or what have you, and then you kick butt in the last couple laps and you pull it off. It's amazing. Well, are you drinking beer today? Absolutely. Okay. Well, Scott, we thank you for stopping by. Loved your show yesterday from out here, and keep thank up the you. good luck. Uh, have fun today. Okay. Uh, Scott Passmore, Channel 3, KTVK, joining us here. Next up, we're going to hear from Jimmy Johnson when we return to our special broadcast here on the Power Motorsports Channel from Phoenix International Raceway. Everything Motorsports. See it. Breathe it. Feel it. PowerUpChannel.com. It's football, pop culture, and everything in between. Get ready for the game plan with Anthony Heron, a.k.a. Big Ant. Anthony has a background in college and professional football and brings the player, coach, and broadcaster perspective to this weekly roundup of the top sports news and events. Big Ant wants to hear from you, too. Tune in to the game plan with Anthony Heron every Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Sports Channel. It's game time. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Sports. Power up your motor sports channel. See it, breathe it, feel it. Welcome back to our special live broadcast here on the Power Motorsports Channel. Larry Henry, the host of Pit Pass USA, can hear on Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock Eastern Time. Well, we've been talking about Jimmy Johnson. He's won the NASCAR Sprint Cup four years in a row. And, oh, yeah, he has won four of the last five races here at Phoenix International Raceway. Yesterday, he talked to the media here. We're now uh, welcoming to the infield media center by uh, driver the number 48 Lowe's Chevrolet, Jimmy Johnson. Currently first in points. Jimmy, uh, your thoughts coming into Phoenix? I'm looking forward to it. We've, uh, we've had a great record here over the years. Um, 
you know, leading the points is a great position to be in, and uh, we're happy to be um, this fast. You know, the start of the season, the victories that we've had, consistent runs. You know, if you take out Daytona, um, we've been very competitive at all the races, and we're doing a great job. So excited. Um, amazing coming back to the racetrack and walking in the garage area. Uh, you go away for a week and relax, charge your batteries up, and then come in. I saw the cars and got that feeling, goosebumps, and, you know, fired up to be back at the racetrack and looking forward to it. Good deal. We'll uh, open it up to questions from the media. Again, as always, state your name, affiliation. Questions for Jimmy Johnson. ChipfordRacingToday.com. Jimmy, the last two cup races, um, you and then Denny won, taking tires late, opting for that over track position. Do you see that maybe playing out again this weekend, and could that become a trend? Um, you know, it, it can become a trend, and I, I think that we've been as a garage area have been asking goodyear to try to build a tire that's durable but then also a tire that wears out which is a you know contradicting statement but within racing there is a way to do it and i think they've done a very good job of building a tire that will last the course of a fuel run but also has a lot of speed drop off in it and at bristol there's i, I never in a million years would have thought we would win that race and then i think denny would say the same at at martinsville um, it was just circumstances and i think more people will look at that and you'll see more people taking four tires later uh, but what really makes that happen is really two elements one which lane you're in and if it gets going um, and then the other part is how many guys do pit if you're the only one that pits and you have 15 cars in front of you it's just not going to happen but if you know you're we, we restarted sixth in bristol and was able to just make it work so uh, i think that's you know there's some variables there that you you'll take a gamble and hope that it goes your way and um, it just depends on what the rest of the field does Further questions for Jimmy. Mike Muller, MikeMuller.net. Going back to Martinsville, for example, and, and looking at what you did at Bristol uh, with the double file restarts, say there's a yellow with uh, 10 to go here and you're leading the race. Do you pit or not? I mean, I, and say there are 15 guys on the lead lap. I mean, I, I'm still second-guessing Mike Ford on that. What, what are you thinking about it, and, and you and Chad thinking about it? You've got to be thinking about it because somebody's got to pit and get tires. Man, I, Chad even asked me at Bristol what I wanted to do, and I said, it's not my job. Yeah, I don't want any part of it. <laughs> um, it is a tough call to make, and, you know, we've had two examples of uh, guys taking four, and it's paid off. So I think the garage area will maybe trend towards uh, taking four. And if the majority comes for four and you're the guy left out there, you're dead in the water. If you're in the minority and take four, um, it's pretty amazing that, you know, Denny and us were both able to win. But, um I want any part of those decisions. I, I've, every time I've made a call from the seat, whether we needed tires or not, it's completely backfired on me. So I just throw it to Chad and let him deal with it. Lee Spencer, Fox Sports. Jimmy, how have you seen Chad mature as a crew chief? I mean, you know, people talk about you maturing as a driver, but this was really his first shot. How have you, year after year, seen him just kind of keep pushing the envelope? I think that he, um, I think Chad has been able to really work on his people skills and, and getting people involved with him. I mean, with the opportunities he had as a crew chief beforehand, he was one guy doing a lot. And at Hendrick Motorsports and in today's world of being a crew chief, you can't take on all the roles yourself. And when we first started, um, he, he did a lot more than just calling a race and trying to lead his guys. I mean, he was in there building shocks and working on you know the, the surface plate and helping with bodies and doing a lot more than he really needed to. Um, and it 
really until 2005 uh, when we had that milk and cookies meeting. Part of the conversation in that was for Chad to let go of some of the control and bring guys in around himself that he trusted and delegate. And that's something that he worked on really hard over the offseason, um, built confidence in the guys that were a part of our race team that he surrounded himself with and released some of that control. And it took, you know, through 2006 for us to get comfortable with it. And I think at that point uh, we saw the benefits and have continued to do that. He has continued to do that. Um, and I think that's also why you don't see a lot of turnover. I mean, Chad gives these guys a lot of opportunity, and they're a big part of the team. And the less he has to worry about in, in the given areas that Ron Malik's in charge of or Greg Ives or Cody Plemons, um, you know, shocks all the, all the different side, he can focus more on dreaming up cool stuff for the race cars. And I think it's allowed us to keep moving forward. Okay, we've got uh, David and then Mark and then Clara B. Jimmy, David Caravella, NASCAR.com. You, you look at Denny's situation this week with his knee. I'm sure you had situations racing off-road where you got beat up several times in the car. Is there just something about the way you guys are hardwired where you would try to drive hurt even if points weren't at stake? Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine what it would be like to watch your race car on track. Um, and you not be in it, you know, during a race. It's one thing if it's a teammate at a test, and it's even hard to see that. But, um, man, it, it's got to be the most difficult thing to, to watch. So I think that's a large part of it. Um, even though you know you're injured and you know you probably can't do your job as, as well as you should or, or would be able to if you weren't injured, um, you just don't want to see anyone else in your car. It's just bottom line. So, uh, you know, I, I know it must have been awfully painful for Denny to uh, – have the procedure now um i we all assume he was trying to make the whole season and work on it have, have it worked on during the off season next year but um I clearly had to get the work done and um just saw him walking through the garage area i mean the guy clearly is in pain and it'd be interesting to see um his mobility in the car how he can drive the car and what really takes place over the weekend mark armijo with the arizona republic Jimmy, when you come to a place like Phoenix where the Hendrick cars have been done so well here, and particularly you for the last five, is your confidence even more than it usually is? Yes, it is. Um, but at the same time, and you can't take anything for granted, we've... Uh, we always look at spring races for chase races as a, a chance to work on our equipment and try to bring something new to the table. And we go to Martinsville two weeks ago now, um, tried some things that just didn't work as we had hoped they would, but without testing um, and hoping that we'd be in the chase and being where we were on points, we decided to take some chances. Um, coming here, you know, we'll, we'll do that again. We, we can't sit still. We have to keep advancing our race cars. And it's kind of a fine line where you get partway through practice and you're like, this is new stuff showing up promise to stick with it or do we bail and, and move on and uh, go back to what we ran here last time so we'll be faced with that decision here in a couple hours when we're on track and and see where it goes so i yes i do come in with confidence knowing that i know what i need to feel chad knows what he would like to see but we're not coming with the same setup and and going to necessarily hit the racetrack uh where we'll start the race so th there is some doubt in my mind of, of us working through our setups and where we need to be We'll finish up with Claire B. Claire B. Lang, Sirius NASCAR Radio. Jeff had talked earlier in the week on his release about the sun being in his eyes at qualifying and him being worried about that. He said you get two looks at it and then, man, you got to go. Are you thinking about that in qualifying today, the sun being at the angle that it might be tough to see? Yeah, without a doubt. Depending on um, 
when you go out, there's a really tough spot. It's kind of a catch-22 because the lower the sun is, the more grip there is on the track, but the less um, you can see into turn one. And you kind of go off a braille in a sense and try to find some reference points um, when the sun's out for the wall and, and some other things. And there's also a feel the last couple times that I've I've turned in because I was blinded. I just turned in too early, and I've I've now taught myself kind of some patience and even though you're blinded to still go straight and don't worry about turning yet so there's also that part that you know for doing it for a few years now you you kind of get in the rhythm of it so um, all of us all day long will be finding solid reference points on the wall um, and trying to figure out how to almost drive in there blind uh, so that if you have the qualifying draw where the sun's in your eyes you're in good shape isn't that scary no that's not too bad um What's funny is we're really not scared until we realize we're going to hit something. And that's way too early in the corner to think you're going to hit anything yet. So once you lose control and you realize you can't help the car, that's when you pucker up and hang on. <laughs> Race car drivers don't get scared, Claire. <laughs> Jim, uh, the, the real last one. <laughs> Jim, on a trail observer, uh, looking to next week at Texas, based off your performance there, um, just how do you think these next couple races, uh, particularly going there again next year, look for you guys? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get back on a mile and a half. Uh, we've had good stuff at Texas and the mile and a half in general. But the big wild card out there is how is the spoiler going to work? Um, I think that the lead car in, in qualifying, we won't see a lot of difference. Um, but there's still a lot to be learned with the car and traffic. And even though we had the Charlotte test, we really never put ourselves in a racing position and side-by-side side and stuff like that. So um, I, feel, I feel good about things. I know we're going to have a good setup. But it's a different world in, in the pack, and I think we're going need to a, need a few months to really evolve the setups of the cars to handle what's going to go on in the pack. Well, the first official practice will probably be the first real feel about what it's like to have everybody. You know, even then, we still, for whatever reason, we won't get around each other. And if we were smart, we'd, at least from a teammate standpoint, we'd put the four or maybe six cars, if you look at Stuart Haas, in a big group and go out and... We could have even had data on it at Charlotte if we had thought about it, but I don't know why we don't. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It would be great to have the data to understand exactly what the car is doing and how much downforce it loses and all that kind of stuff, but we didn't. So uh, the first test will be in the race. Thank you, Jimmy, and good luck this weekend. We're now uh, welcoming International to- Raceway starts 16th today, and no one's betting against him to uh, win again here at Phoenix. going to be interesting. You mentioned uh, Denny Hamlin. He had that ACL surgery uh, a little over a week ago. He has practiced the car. Casey Mears is standing by to get in the car. I can't see how Denny is going to be able to stay in that car, but he wants the, the points. Uh, and so Casey Mears did practice the car, and he is ready to go this afternoon should they need to make a driver change. Well, coming up in a few moments, Mike Knight, the host of the Race Reporters. He's got some race reporters lined up and some other guests, too. As we continue with our live broadcast here from Phoenix International Raceway on the Power Up Motorsports Channel. Tune up your motorsports knowledge. Power Up Motorsports Channel. Welcome to the Race Reporters. This is where America's top journalists and newsmakers meet every week for a good, hard, honest, constitutionally protected conversation on the motorsports issues of the day. 
Here is your host, 40-year industry insider and award-winning writer, Michael Knight. It's Saturday, April the 10th, 2010. I'm Michael Knight, and we're live with the race reporters. A special edition from Phoenix International Raceway before tonight's Subway Fresh Fit 600 NASCAR Sprint Cup event. But as always, the great adventure continues. And as always, if you listen, you'll learn. Let's get right into pre-race conversation going into tonight's increased distance, 375 lap or approximately 600 kilometer event with Mark Armijo, the veteran writer of the Arizona Republic. Mark and I are out here covering for the Republic. If you're not in the area to buy the paper, read us at azcentral.com. And Susan Wade, who we normally read the straight line column on NHRA coverage in National Speed Sport News. She's here covering for Speed Sport News. And Susan also writes for CompetitionPlus.com, the leading drag racing site, where I also write. And Susan also contributes to GoRacingTV.com. Mark Armijo, Hendrick Motorsports, has won the last six consecutive cup races at PIR. Jimmy Johnson has won three of the last five races here. Now, Dale Earnhardt Jr. qualified fifth. Jimmy Johnson, 16th. Mark Martin, 23rd. And Jeff Gordon, 10th. Not quite as high up on the grid as we might otherwise expect to see. But if a Hendrick Motorsports driver does not win tonight, Will you be surprised? I will be shocked, actually. Uh, they could have qualified 39th, 40th, 41st, and 42nd. I'd still pick them. Their record is just too, it's too good here. They, they know this place. All four of their drivers have won here. And, uh, and I think victory lane goes to them. Susan Wade, is Jimmy Johnson the favorite tonight, even though he's starting in the eighth row? Probably so, probably because of, of what he's done already this year. But I am so surprised. Just last night in the nationwide race, we saw Kyle Busch come back from as far back as 19th to win the race. So I can't imagine that there won't be some surprise there somewhere. But, but it would certainly be no surprise to see any of the Hendrick guys come through. And we're also joined now by Jamie Reynolds, the host of Racing Roundup Arizona. You can check him out at racingroundup.com. Jamie, how long has your show been on now? We hit puberty last year, so we're about 13 and a half, almost 14 years, Michael. Okay. Jamie, have you answer what uh, Susan and Mark just answered? Hendrick Motorsports has won the last six consecutive races here. Jimmy Johnson, three of the last five at PIR. Will you be surprised if a Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet does not win tonight? No, not at all. Well, who do you think is the biggest challenger? I think the whole field is a challenger. I think the biggest challenge in this race is probably going to be this is the first time they've been on a speedway of this size without a wing in this car of tomorrow. They've got the uh, spoiler on, and you saw the success Tony Stewart had trying to get that thing wrestled together. Jimmy Johnson also looped it. You look at the front of the field, the way it's starting, you've got open-wheel guys who probably push cars differently, and I think this wing and uh, spoiler is going to make a, a huge difference. So I think the guy who... Uh, figures out how to run that is going to be the important one that coupled with the fact they've been practicing in 80 degree weather and they're going to be running this whole race an extra 75 miles at night so i think it's wide open and i wouldn't be i would think somebody who is safe slow and probably 
Uh, Matt Kenseth pipe is going to be the one that's going to come out of here. Mark, in practice yesterday, we saw something really unusual, which was a bunch of the top name drivers, including Jimmy Johnson and even Tony Stewart, spin. What was going on there yesterday? Well, I guess it depends on who you talk to. Uh, Brian Vickers hinted that, or more than hinted, I think, said the, uh, he, he thinks maybe there might be a tire problem. Uh, and uh, it's a combination of the heat, an older track, uh, all those things went into it. I, I've never seen so many cars wiggle here in practice and qualifying as I did yesterday. You think heat is a part of it? We're mid-80s, maybe upper 80s here uh, going into the start of the race. Well, I, I think it's even been hotter here for the November race, but uh, may, maybe with the spoiler, these things are maybe all those things are playing into it, uh, but it's definitely slippery out there. Susan, let me turn to you with a different subject, something that we're all going to be paying attention to tonight, or I should say someone, will be Denny Hamlin in the FedEx Toyota. He's qualified 26th. Only 10 days ago, Denny had major reconstructive surgery on his left knee to repair a torn ACL, which happened in a pickup basketball game. They have Casey Mears on site as a possible standby driver. We spoke with Denny yesterday. He admitted to being in a lot of pain, and he admitted that if the race had been yesterday, there was no way that he would be able to complete the full distance. What do you expect from Denny tonight? Do you expect him to have to get out of the car you know what i think he'll go as long as he possibly can and i I wouldn't be surprised if he stays in the whole time maybe isn't quite as competitive but i I expect him to be as competitive as long as he's in there as long as the car will give will will allow him to do that i think that you know most of us would would use that as an excuse to sit on the couch and eat bonbons and rest our legs for six weeks but but we that's how we think but i think we have to remember how they think and and I mean, Jeff Burton said that he had he had to get out of the car once when he had vertigo years ago. But he but he also even before that, years before that, he was had a local championship on the line and he got in a car with a broken back. So I mean, these guys they'll get in the car and and it's just like an NFL player. They don't want the anybody to know they're they're injured they're going to lose their spot they're going to lose something they're, they're it's going to cost them to sit out and they don't want to do that so we have to think about what like steve wallace drove last night in the in the nationwide race and he had a, a, a badly broken foot and his dad rusty wallace said ah he he'll just shake that off he won't even think about it and it's but that was after he had just described it as he had two toes broken off and the top of his foot was a mess and you know that's just the way they are you and i wouldn't be that way that's why it, it it's we're so surprised by it but really when you think about how they think about it it's not any surprise at all that Denny Hamlin's getting in that car yeah Dr. Steve Olvey the famed IndyCar uh, physician who I worked with when I was at uh, the card organization told me many years ago that he finds that race drivers are more highly motivated to recover quicker to do their physical therapy to do whatever it takes to get back into action as opposed to a shall we say the average patient uh jamie reynolds let me ask you this aj allmendinger on the pole for richard petty motorsports in the valvoline ford uh his first cup pole obviously aj's uh, history was road racing but he's actually had better results on the track than the uh, finishing order might otherwise indicate do you think that aj allmendinger is a legitimate contender to win tonight at this track tonight yes I think anyone, you know, as I said earlier, I think anyone has a shot here tonight. I think the traditional uh, front runners are going to find a struggle getting to the front. You've got guys that uh, normally are in the top ten that are starting 
in the teens and in the 20s. Uh, I think all five, the highest starting uh, member of the uh, top five in point standings, Jeff Burton, is like 14th or 15th or something. He's outside of the top 10. There's a lot of different driving styles that are going to have to mesh and integrate tonight. And I think this, uh, this spoiler is going to be a big, the bigger factor than we've, we've really given it uh, credit for. Mark, it was kind of a wild qualifying session yesterday. Not only Almendinger on the pole, Scott Speed on the front row, Sam Hornish Jr. third, Marcus Ambrose fourth. There was a lot of uh, change up front as the session went on. Uh, that was one of the more uh, wild or unusual qualifying sessions we've seen in a long time, wasn't it? Oh, it was. And uh, each, each car going out there was almost like an adventure. Uh, the way they were wiggling, swerving, it's, uh, I, you know, Jamie's right, you know, it, it, maybe all bets are off. Maybe this is a, uh, maybe this is a wild card race. It's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, Susan, what do you think? Should should fans consider an A.J. Allmendinger, a Scott Speed, a Marcus Ambrose, or a Sam Hornish? Should we really expect that they'd be serious contenders to win tonight, or as the race goes on, the extra 63 laps, will we see Jimmy Johnson and some of the other more traditional, higher-profile names uh, make it to the front? I, I, I agree with Jamie and, and Mark that anybody's, anybody who's out there, it, it has a fair shot at it. And, and, and those guys know how to, they know what they're doing. They're veterans enough that they know how to, to, to you know, go for the marathon races. This is, this is not going to you know, phase them at all, I don't think. So, so it just it depends. I, I think, I think what, we, what we see in NASCAR all the time is how quickly you can move from the back to the front and the front to the back. And anybody could be just the, the, the luck of the draw. You could be anywhere on that track. So, yeah, I, I, I think Almendinger and, and, and Hornish and those guys, they, they're veterans. And Ambrose, he's an aggressive little driver. I think, he'll, I think he'll do real well. We have less than three minutes left. Let me have all three of you comment on this. With the previous conversation of the success of Hendrick Motorsports here, Jimmy Johnson here, Mark Armijo, if you had to pick one driver, non-Hendrick driver, who you think would be a real contender to win tonight? Who would that be? Jeff Burton. Jeff Burton has won here before. Uh, I think he can adapt. He's a, he's a veteran. I think he can adapt to whatever might transpire with all these changes with the longer race, the earlier start time, the spoiler, whatever effect that might be. A bumpy track, uh, slippery conditions. Uh, I'll go with Jeff. Susan Wade, who do you think? I'd have to go if I were a betting person, go with Tony Stewart. He always do, he always defies the odds when everybody said they wanted to, you know, nobody was going with Chevrolet, he wanted a Chevrolet. When everybody said the economy's terrible, he wants to start his own team. He does everything bass backwards from what you would think, and it always works because he has great instincts so they'll they'll go tonight now traditionally green is considered an unlucky color in racing but tony has green on his number 14 off his depot car tonight as part of a partnership to uh, commemorate the upcoming 40th anniversary of uh, earth day and some other sponsorship obligations let's wrap up with this jamie reynolds give me a non-hendrick driver who you think could win tonight I think it's going to have to be one of the Bush brothers. I don't know if it's going to be Kurt because he's doing so well in that Fiat of his or if it's going to be Kyle and that lesson he learned last night when he went from 10th to 1st in uh, just over a handful of laps. I think he learned something last night about a car that has a, uh, a spoiler on it versus a wing, and I, I think Kyle's going to do a little uh, double dipping today. 
Well, I'd have a Q&A on, with Kurt Busch that's in the Arizona Republic today. Again, you can check out Mark Armijo's coverage as well as mine in the Arizona Republic or at azcentral.com. Thank you very much to Mark Armijo of the Arizona Republic, Susan Wade of National Speed Sport News, and Jamie Reynolds of Race and Roundup Arizona. You can find him at raceandroundup.com. We'll be back in three minutes to continue our special coverage here from Phoenix International Raceway. This is the Race Reporters on PowerUpChannel.com. reporters with Michael Knight. Got a comment or question about today's show? Send an email to the race reporters at AOL.com. Now, back to the show. We're back with Hour 2 of Power Up Channel's special four hours of exclusive live programming from Phoenix International Raceway before tonight's Subway Fresh Fit 600. If you're hearing the race reporters for the first time, we're normally on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern, always live and always with newsmakers and media panelists from throughout the racing world. We're now joined by two of the real veterans of the NASCAR motorsports media community. These guys know every Everything that goes on in the NASCAR Sprint Cup and Nationwide Garage areas. That's Mike Mulhern, the veteran newspaper writer. I believe he's been covering NASCAR since the 1970s. You find him now at MikeMulhern.net. I check that him out every day. And Jim Utter of the Charlotte Observer. And you can also read Jim's material at That'sRacing.com. Let me start by asking both of you this. Hendrick Motorsports has won the last six consecutive cup races at PIR. Jimmy Johnson has won three of the last five here. Jim Utter, will you be surprised if a Hendrick Motorsports driver does not win tonight? Uh, no, I'd be shocked if, 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 they, if someone else did. Uh, just to be, um, because I try to pick against the grain a little bit and uh, not uh, appear to be always very predictable. I actually, in the paper today, predicted Kurt Busch would win the race. Uh, I just tried to go with something different, but I have to say it was very, very difficult not to pick either Jimmy Johnson, uh, Mark Martin, or uh, Jeff Gordon, or even, I mean, Dale Jr. qualified very well and has won here in the past, so... Uh, it would not be a shock. Well, thanks for that opening for me to plug my Q&A with Kurt Busch in today's Arizona <laughs> Republic. Mike Mulhern, what do you say about that? Is this is this on? Oh, yeah. okay. Yes, it is. Man, look at this equipment here, man. You I get know, a sponsor for all that. this stuff, or you steal it from out? This, from, is, uh, this from is big that, time. Yeah, yeah, big time. Uh, I guess Jim wasn't at the Martinsville, I guess, because, I mean, the, the Martinsville, Jimmy Johnson, yeah, okay, he's going to win his 17th race in a row or something like that, and they weren't even, they weren't even in, the, in the show. And then Jeff Gordon does his brain fade at the end and throws away a chance to win the race by by trying to knock Matt Kenseth into the wall. And that's about the I second or third time. I thought Matt Kenseth threw his chance well, away. By knocking Matt, him into the oh, wall. Well, Matt Kenseth was so surprised there anyway. I mean, hey, if it's a, a two-lap 
sprint to the finish, and you got somebody behind you, and you're going for the win. Uh, you remember Dale Earnhardt? You're going to get hit. I mean, if Jeff Gordon didn't think somebody was going to hit him, I mean, he hasn't been around the sport as long as he, as he as I think he's been. And I'm really surprised that Jeff Gordon was making so many mistakes this year. I mean, he was complaining about tires at at, uh, at Atlanta for, for 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 goodness sakes. I mean, and, and all the Hendrick cars at Atlanta were having some problems, but a lot of guys didn't have problems. I mean, he's he's not on his game right now, and I didn't think the Hendrick guys were on their game at Martinsville either. And this is exactly the same situation. We went into Martinsville Sunday morning. Jimmy Johnson's going to win, yeah, fourth in a row or something like that. He wasn't in the game. It was Jeff Burton Day. And I'm picking Jeff Burton here today because I like Jeff Burton's style on these tracks. You know what, Michael Knight? uh, You're right. Hendrick Motorsport sucks. (laughs) Terrible. Have no shot today. Now, look, Mike Mike Mulhern has opened the door on this question. Hey, and Kurt Busch has led the most laps this season, so you're right about that. Okay. Mike Mulhern's opened the door to this question. Jim, you run through it. Is Jeff Gordon off his game? Uh, well, it depends. Are we saying is he off his game from 1998 when he won 13 races? Yes. Is he off his game as being, like, uh, not competitive for the championship? No. I mean, the guy won one race last year, but he also finished second eight times. I mean, I don't think that's any uh, – I think there's probably 40 drivers in the garage who wish that they had the opportunity. Uh, if you finish second, that means you had a chance to finish first, and uh, half the garage doesn't even see a chance to finish first anytime they come to the racetrack. So uh, it all depends on your perspective. Is he the Jeff Gordon of old? No. Is he still a top 10 driver in this sport that can win uh, consistently? I think so, yes. Okay, let me ask both of you a big-picture question. You guys know everybody in the garage area. You have a better sense of the overall NASCAR scene than any two other people that I know. The big philosophy change, shall we call it, before the start of this season was, as Robin Pemberton, the NASCAR competition vice president, called it, boys have at it. And this was supposedly all about making the races more exciting, more interesting for the fans, help TV ratings, help ticket sales or whatever. Mike Mulhern, is it working? Are the races more exciting? Yes, the races are more exciting, and I think that's one reason that, that, that uh, Jeff Gordon is not off his game, but he's not on the same game he's been on. I mean, I think he's trying to take advantage of this thing and trying to intimidate, trying to press a little bit more. I think that's what we're seeing it's in some of these cases when we talk about Jeff uh, Gordon not being uh, on his game. It is more exciting. There are more things happening. I mean, at the Bristol race, I thought was the greatest Bristol race I've seen on the new surface. Martinsville was a great race out there. Uh, they are having really good races out there. I don't know why the fans aren't coming out. I mean, there's some really good races and really good ticket prices, too. I mean, I have not seen ticket prices this low. I don't think I've ever seen ticket prices this low. I think you can get $14 tickets to some races or something like, something like that. It is good, exciting racing. They're doing a lot better job than I thought they were doing. They're paying each other back. They're they're doing things on the racetrack. I like to see that sort of stuff. You know, yes. Jim, are the races more exciting with the boys have added philosophy? I think the races are definitely more exciting, but I would be honest with you, I think double file restarts has more to do with that than boys have added. Uh, I'm not saying that that, 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 that hasn't certainly the paybacks that we have seen in, in some of the races has produced excitement. But, for instance, the Martinsville race that, that Mike talks about, no way does Denny Hamlin win that race when they are doing a single file restart uh, in the last 10 laps, which has been the NASCAR policy for the last 40 years. And Bristol, too, remember? And, and Bristol, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that is a product of, I mean, yes, banging people out of the way, but having cars packed up in two rows, your top four cars being two rows deep instead of four rows deep 
at, at the end of races to me is one of the big keys. And in some places, you know, we're still seeing this rule for the first time. For instance, we only race once at Darlington. Yeah, right. We haven't even been there yet Whoa, with double file gonna, restarts. That's going to be Whoa, crazy. Man, you know they run 200 miles an hour down there on that yeah. new asphalt. That's really going to be scary. A very good point there, but it does bring up the fact that I think that NASCAR needs to change the rule about starting the race to get points, but the Denny Hanlon thing. I don't know if, if you've talked about that or not. Darrell Waltrip has yeah. been saying for 20 years, you know, you shouldn't have to be forced to be lifted into your car. He's in pain. He can't hit the brake pedal, and I think we need to point that out somewhere along the line. Before we run out of time, we're having a great and fun and lively conversation here with Mike Mulhern and Jim Utter. Kind of reminds me of the old Pitbull show, Mike. <laughs> like, that, you and I, uh, that you were, oh, that you were a great you panelist. Oh, please, did you have to do that? Oh, yes. I absolutely want to have both of you comment on this. Who's the bigger bad boy in NASCAR right now? Kyle Busch or Brad Keselowski? Mike? Uh, I think uh, it has to be Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch has been around for a long time. Yeah, uh, Brad Keselowski, he's only had like 22 or 23 races. He's a, he's a young kid in this whole thing. He's trying to make a name for himself. you know. So I, I can't really put a put a mark on where Brad is in, in, in his career, but but I, I think Kyle Busch is definitely the guy. Of course, now Jeff Gordon may be giving him a run for the money there. I'm still trying to figure out what he was doing, putting Matt Kenseth on the wall and, and giving up the race at Martinsville. To me, that was just a dumb move by, by Jeff. Jim, we saw, you and I saw cover last night Kyle drive incredibly in the last 50 laps to go from 19th to win the nationwide series race but answer the question who's the bigger bad boy Kyle or Brad well if I have to pick between the two I have to unfortunately agree with Mike <laughs> and say that it's Kyle Busch and the reason is is because you know all this talk about Brad Kozlowski let me just point out one fact that continues to be neglected by my friends in the media Brad Keselowski has never been penalized by NASCAR for anything. Is that true? Ever. Oh, I didn't know that. Never has he been penalized for anything that's transpired on the racetrack, despite all the times that drivers have complained about his actions, all the wrecks that he supposedly started. The only people who have ironically been penalized by NASCAR are the people who complain about Brad Keselowski. We have less than two minutes left. I don't want to have you guys leave here without weighing in on Dale Earnhardt Jr., Mike, I need a fairly quick answer to this. Should Dale Jr. fans be encouraged or discouraged? I think this, this Phoenix race is going to be a very important uh, milestone for Dale Jr. because Mark won this race last year, looked very strong, and Dale Jr. has exactly the same equipment that Mark has. Mark and Dale should be running side-by-side side to the entire race here. We're going to end Jim Utter. Answer that. Should Dale Jr. fans be encouraged or discouraged? I'm just disappointed he didn't say, and please go to MikeMulhern.net after <laughs> that kiss-up job to Dale Jr. Fans, the Dale, Jr. <laughs> Dale Jr. fans should not ha- should withhold uh, commentary for at least five more races. Uh, at least five more years? Did you say no? no five, I, five more. I'm sorry. Okay. Sorry. I didn't okay. say that wasn't going to be true. I said at least five more races. Well, that's a great conversation. Thank you very much to Jim Utter of the Charlotte Observer and to Mike Mulhern. That's Mike Mulhern. Great conversation here on the special edition of the Race Reporters. Coming up next, the manager of GM Racing, Mark Kent. Gentlemen, start your engines. Tune up your motorsports knowledge. Power up. Power up your motorsports channel. See it. Read it. Feel it. You are listening.
listening to the race reporters with michael knight got a comment or question about today's show send an email to the race reporters at aol.com now back to the show we're back live at Phoenix International Raceway with this special edition of the Race Reporters. And our next guest was actually a newsmaker of the week on our normal Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern show last year. He's Mark Kent, the manager of GM Racing, Chevrolet, 33-time NASCAR manufacturer champion, off to another incredible start this year, Mark, with six wins in the, excuse me, four wins in the first six races. Let me start by asking you a serious question about GM and about the industry. When you were on our show last year, we had a very good conversation about the business metrics that you must use, that all of every, any good business person would have to use in terms of justifying a racing investment with senior management. At the time, Fritz Henderson was the chairman of GM. Since then, Ed Whitaker has taken over as GM, and obviously there are other changes in the executive level. What should race fans know about Mr. Whitaker and his interest and support in racing and specifically NASCAR? Well, Mr. Whitaker's interest is making GM profitable and, and sustainable, so that's his, his job. And as you mentioned earlier, our job is to to support that and racing does that so by the fact that racing does give us a tremendous return on investment does give us a great opportunity to sell cars mr whitaker then is in support of that mark people like me who've been around racing for a long time and obviously your background goes back quite a bit too even into the trans am series with gm and chevrolet uh the most famous probably uh, uh business of racing phrase ever was win on sunday sell on monday and many of us also think of the benefits of motorsports for the automakers in terms of technical development innovation that can ultimately be translated to the passenger car but in the modern NASCAR, is this more of a marketing and branding exercise than it is a technical development platform? I'd say it's a balance. Uh, we raised a bunch of different series, and each of those series gives us uh, a different benefit. Uh, NASCAR, in particular, a tremendous reach, 85 million fans. Uh, gives, gives us a great opportunity to get our products in front of them at the track and on the track. Uh, if you go to a lot of these races, you'll see our display here. It's basically an auto show in motion here where people can come and see our products. And uh, we believe that's paying off. I mean, our, our sales uh, are 43% above where they were last year. The, the industry's picking up and General Motors is picking up. And we believe by showing some of these cars at the racetrack, it's getting people to the showrooms and we're, we're buying a lot of these products. What is the metric that you look at specifically from your surveys and your uh, general research with the NASCAR fan in terms of how NASCAR fans play in to the General Motors and Chevrolet customer base? Uh, NASCAR fans are very loyal General Motors uh, buyers. Our, our market share within NASCAR is about twice what it is across the country. So uh, NASCAR fans align very well with uh, the Chevrolet products. Uh, and at, you know, in as much as Chevrolet is the big dog now at General Motors, that helps us out tremendously. I would do want to ask you a technical-related question. There's certainly been 
stories, I'd say over the last six months about NASCAR perhaps going to fuel injection engines. There's been talk more recently about some change in, in fuel to perhaps some kind of ethanol blend or uh, some uh, more uh, green-oriented, at least slightly, uh, fuel. What's Chevrolet's position, for example, on fuel injection? Are you interested in seeing that happen? Uh, definitely. We, we're we supporting the, the NASCAR initiatives and in, in moving forward with technology in NASCAR. So whether it is uh, fuel injection, uh, the talk of going to an ethanol-based uh, fuel, uh, General Motors makes more ethanol fuel vehicles on the road than anybody else. So it's, it's in our core business as well. So it'd be great to see that on the racetrack. From a timing standpoint, is it feasible for your teams, for all of the NASCAR teams to do that for the 2011 season? Yes. Uh, I, don't, I don't believe it's a, a challenge that can't be overcome. Uh, we have a lot of uh, work under, under process already in that area. We've done it in other racing series, so I don't think it's an insurmountable challenge. I'd like to ask you also about this is the second race with the spoiler replacing the wing. Do you prefer the spoiler? I, I like the spoiler. I, I, I like the look of it on the car. And, uh, you know, we, we don't produce a lot of uh, cars with the wings on them anymore. So, I, you know, it's in alignment with our, our street cars. Okay. Uh, Peter DiLorenzo, who writes the AutoExtremist.com uh, column, uh, is actually going to be a guest on my show this coming Wednesday. He had a recent column that there is movement amongst the automakers with NASCAR to perhaps get the nose profile changed on the cars in order to make them more resemble uh, what you have on the street. What can you tell us about that? Is there something actively in the works with NASCAR to make that happen? Uh, that's been an ongoing discussion with NASCAR uh, for several years, and it's not specific to Chevrolet. It's, it's across the board. Uh, a lot of discussion about increasing the relevance on, on the race car to the street car, and, and that's all in good as long as we do it properly. We don't need to get back to the day where all the cars were different and it was, it was the best negotiator at the end of the, end of the day at the trailer that was, had the best car. So if we, can, if we can get relevance into the car and not lose the close competition we have today, I think that would be a win-win for, for both NASCAR and the automotive manufacturers. Do you have any idea, is there a time frame involved when fans might see something on, on the front end? Uh, I don't think... Uh, in the in the near future, we're going to see, I believe, a, a new lower on the, the Sprint Cup car. I think that's coming. Uh, I think that came out of the out of the Nationwide car. I think the Nationwide cars turned out looking very nice, and they're going to take some of that learnings and apply them to the Sprint Cup car. But dramatic changes, it would be uh, several years out, I would believe. We're talking with Mark Kent, the manager of GM Racing. Chevrolet has won four of the first six Sprint Cup races this year. You mentioned the Nationwide Series. We did talk about this last time you were on the show, uh, but I'd like to ask you again, as I understand it, starting at Daytona, for example, Ford is going to go to Mustang Bodywork for the Nationwide. Was it just not feasible for Chevrolet to try to utilize Camaro Bodywork in Nationwide? With the, the templates they were, the way they were in Nationwide, we felt we didn't want to compromise the iconic lines of the Camaro and, and force that car into the Nationwide Series. Uh, we have other areas where we race the Camaro, uh, the Grand Am Series, which is now a NASCAR Series. We race a Camaro that looks just like the car on the street. Uh, we're, we're looking at some opportunities in drag racing uh, and elsewhere. So it was a reach in Nationwide. There, it's a reality in other series. 
Mark, I want to talk to you specifically about the great success that Chevrolet has enjoyed for many years with Rick Hendrick and with Rick Hendrick Motorsports. But Jimmy Johnson, four consecutive Sprint Cup championships, has won three races already this year. It's become kind of a trendy thing in recent times for there to be media and fan comment that Jimmy Johnson's domination of NASCAR supposedly is boring. I have a hard time accepting that because, you know, in America, we have a great tradition of celebrating dominant teams, incredible success in sports, whether it's the New York Yankees, the Boston Celtics, the Green Bay Packers or whatever. When you as a businessman, as well as someone who's very versed in the technical side of racing, look at Jimmy Johnson, Chad Knauss, Rick Hendrick, Rick Hendrick Motorsports, the number 48 team, I know it's not just one thing, but give us some insights. What do you see there amongst that group that accounts for their incredible success? I think you touched on all of it. It's, it's a great team. It's a great crew chief. It's a great driver. Uh, great support back at Hendrick Motorsports. Uh, it takes all of that, and it, it also takes luck. I mean, there's you know a couple of races. Uh, you know, it was, it was a strategy call. Uh, I think the great thing about NASCAR competition is, on any given weekend, just about every car that rolls off the haulers has an opportunity to win. And the and the team that gets it that's the most prepared, and and has the best strategy, is the team that at the end of the day is typically you know up in the front. We have two minutes left with Mark Kent. Before you leave, I do want to have you comment on the great improvement this year at Richard Childress Racing. Uh, obviously, they've had very good runs up until last uh, race at Martinsville. Kevin Harvick was leading the Sprint Cup Championship. What can you give us from in terms of an insight of what's been going on with RCR that helps account for such great improvement this year? I think what we see at RCR is the fact that Richard is committed to winning. You know, a lot of teams, when they get down, will stay down. But Richard just kept digging, changed his organization, invested more in certain areas that he felt he had some shortcomings, and it's paid off. So it's, it's great to see them all three in the chase this year so far. With that, I want to say thank you very much to Mark Kent, the manager of GM Racing, for joining us here on the special edition of the Race Reporters. And, Mark, we have a tradition on this show for our newsmaker guest to play you out with some music specific to your situation. And when you were on with me the last time, we played what I consider to be one of the most iconic advertising jingles in American advertising history, Dinah Shore singing See the USA in your Chevrolet. It's baseball season. I used to be a baseball writer. Let's play you out with another iconic Chevrolet advertising jingle. We love baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. Stolen bases, goat cheese, pizza, bottled water, and Chevrolet. Stolen bases, goat cheese, pizza, bottled water, and Chevrolet. Free agents, rally monkeys, Benzilis, and Chevrolet. Whoa, wait, what's a rally monkey? We love frozen yogurt, luxury boxes, camera phones, and Chevrolet. Mascots, gourmet pretzels, retractable roofs, and Chevrolet. Apparently, baseball's changed a little over the years, but not America's love of the game or our love for Chevrolet. They go together in the good old USA. Base painters, satellite radio, and most of the deals in Chevrolet. Makes sense to me. Expansion teams, smoke the Chino, broken cruisers in Chevrolet.
listening to the Race Reporters with Michael Knight. Got a comment or question about today's show? Send an email to the Race Reporters at AOL.com. Now, back to the show. We're back live at Phoenix International Raceway with this special edition of the Race Reporters before tonight's Subway Fresh Fit 600 kilometers, 375 laps tonight. That's an in increase of 63 laps from what the event has run in the past years. And I'll remind you, if you're hearing the Race Reporters for the first time, we normally air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. This coming Wednesday, April the 14th, NHRA funny car driver Melanie Troxel will be my newsmaker of the week guest. We're going to close out this special edition of the show with two media people who know everything that happens in the NASCAR Sprint Cup garage area. Welcome to Lee Spencer of FoxSports.com and Reed Spencer of the Sporting News NASCAR News Service. I want to ask both of you a big picture NASCAR question because you're well prepared, well experienced to answer this. There were a number of changes made before the start of the season that were designed to improve the showbiz quality of NASCAR. The most famous thing was Robert Pemberton's quotes, boys have at it. Lee, are the NASCAR races more exciting this year or not? I think all you had to do was watch the Nationwide Series race last night and, and get a feel of what the potential is, what we're getting, what we're seeing week after week. And I think you have to go back even before the start of this season to when they went to double file restarts. Starting with that point, they realized that they had to do something perhaps to artificially stimulate it or at least bring it back to its roots. And by doing that, they really ignited just sheer competition within the ranks. And, I mean, I, I think from that point on, they have found ways to, to jack up the excitement, and it has absolutely taken off. Reed, you know, I think Lee hits on something that really is number one on my list of the changes, which is the double-wide restarts. But based on your experience, just personally covering all these races, do, do you sense they are more exciting? Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, I think you go back to Pocono last year in August, which is the first place they instituted it after deciding to make that change. I, I was surprised, frankly, that this didn't come a long time earlier because, I mean, with the All-Star Race you know, in May, you saw exactly how exciting those could be. I think that they've added a dimension in terms of pit strategy. Crew chiefs now have to weigh starting position, outside lane, inside lane, four tires, two tires, and you've seen some stuff go against conventional wisdom this year. You've seen four tire calls come from the pack to win. You know, it, in very improbable circumstances like Jimmy Johnson at Bristol, like Denny Hamlin at Martinsville, where in the past that probably wouldn't have happened. Yeah, and, and one thing that remains true at least for three races of the first six of this year Whatever that unconventional call may be, Chad Canal still seems to be able to make that right call. Let me ask you something. I realize we're only six races into the season. Is there any reason to say that Jimmy Johnson is not the favorite to win his fifth consecutive cup, Reed? I don't think there's any reason to say that he's not the favorite, but I think there's hope for other people because I think, you know, basically simply the, the transition to the spoiler at this point has thrown a variable in there that has not existed with the new car. And if you look at the, the 93 races that were run with the rear wing, three guys won 46 of those. Jimmy Johnson won 22 of those. And Johnson was the only guy that could, that could sustain 
a winning streak with that car throughout its entire lifespan. Now you've got the spoiler. Is, is that going to be tough for Chad and Jimmy to figure out? Probably not, but at least it's a variable and it gives other people a chance to find something and maybe get ahead of the game. Lee, let me ask you the question a different way. Other than Jimmy Johnson, who's best positioned right now to be the Sprint Cup champion? Probably one of his teammates because, <laughs> you know, Hendrick Motorsports is phenomenal when it comes to adapting to changes from a technological standpoint because of the depth of what their tools are back at, at you know, back at the ranch, so to speak. Uh, they have everything you could possibly ask for to get the job done. Now, the one element about Jimmy and Chad is the fact that no one tackles adversity the way that that group does. Nobody can look at a specific, you know, conundrum and overcome it. I mean, we see it in races, and I really don't think that um, the spoiler is going to make any bit of a difference. I mean, you know, Chad is suspended. They're still winning races. And, I, you know, it just doesn't vary. And um, you know, that they're just that tough. They're mentally tough. They're physically tough. And uh, the experience that they have at winning championships is going to make them hard to stop. We're talking with Lee Spencer of FoxSports.com and Reed Spencer of the Sporting News NASCAR News Service. I mentioned in, in a previous question about the so-called boys have at it philosophy. I want to ask both of you to comment on something that I've already asked Mike Mulhern and Jim Utter. Who's NASCAR's biggest bad boy right now, Brad Keselowski or Kyle Busch? Reed? Well, I, I, I think at this point it's probably Kyle Busch because, um, you know, I would say that Kyle has the temper, whereas Brad has a very even temperament. Brad is an aggressive driver. Um, but I don't think that Brad has done anything overly aggressive this year. I think he's getting all the payback from the stuff that happened last year. You know, the, the rivalry with Denny, the rivalry with Carl from last year. And, you know, I, I think Kyle is so mercurial that he's still the bad boy if you had to say that one of the two is. I think that's a great point about paybacks from last year, going back to last year. I had a story with David Rudiman in the Arizona Republic earlier this week, and he was a guest on the show two weeks ago in which he kind of explained that payback is not only about maintaining respect amongst your peers, but it's also a matter of timing that sometimes payback doesn't happen until a year later, which I'm sure is hard for a lot of fans to believe. But, Lee, let me I want to have you answer the question, Brad or Kyle, but I also want to have you talk about what you and I saw covered last night, Reed covered it, an incredible drive by Kyle Busch in the last 50 laps of the nationwide race to go from 19th to win. Uh, I don't know that I've seen a drive quite like that for quite some time. Well, it was absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, before that was over, he said, J.D. Gibbs, I want to see you when the race is over. He called out his owner very much in the same style that his brother would, which, you know, is that being a bad boy or is that just bad manners? Because I don't know if I'd talk to my boss like that and, you know, still have a job on Monday. That being said, after he won the race, he also said over the radio, take that NASCAR. 
is that kind of like Kurt Busch saying, you know, Mike Helton, come lick my salty balls? I mean, you know, it's probably along the, the same lines as that. And so, you know, it, it's it's there's definitely a guy that has absolutely no respect for authority when you look at it from that standpoint. But that being said, he also backs it up, you know, behind the wheel. The kid is a wheel man, and he's just absolutely amazing. And as Keselowski pointed out, he kind of uses the Nationwide Series as a benchmark because he knows he can still kick butt and take names over there. And he's hoping for the day where, you know, the door opens and he's able to have the same sort of numbers in, in Sprint Cup. So, Lee, is, is Kyle still remain the big bad boy in NASCAR? I think he's one of the big bad boys, and I think that as we say, have at it, boys, we're going to see more of that. And case in point, let's look at Martinsville last week. Uh, Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, you know, there were years where Jeff would just let Jimmy go by him and kind of get away with it. I don't think we're going to have that same kind of, you know, let your teammate go kind of mentality anymore. I think it's going to go wheel to wheel, trading paint. You know, Jeff Burton, it, it, it took him out of the, the race last week because he did get his right front fender, you know, in, into Hamlin and, and he cut a tire. And so, um, you know, it, it just has to be tempered with, you, you know, finding that balance between what that drive and aggression is and also, you know, maintaining your your competition level on the racetrack. Reed, let, Reed, let me have you follow up on that, but I want to ask you another question to take it one step further. We talk about Kyle. We talk about Brad. Are there any other drivers whose styles benefit by this change of NASCAR officiating philosophy? Oh, I, I mean, I think Tony Stewart does. I think it, whenever he uh, whenever he needs to make a point, he'll make a point, as he did with Montoya last year. I think Montoya is another one who is not afraid to turn, you know, turn around and return the favor as he did at Homestead last year. And, you know, you didn't see anything untoward happen to either of those guys in that race because basically they did it in such a way that nothing really happened on the track when they wrecked each other. And so so I, I think that what is happening this year really is a carryover of that mentality because I think NASCAR had expressed late in the season that they were going to let things go. And they, they sort of, Robin Pemberton made it sort of stated policy when he said, boys, have at it and have fun. But I think that attitude was in place already prior to that. When Carl Edwards spun Brad Keselowski at the end of the Atlanta race and Brad wound up flipping this generated tremendous national headlines, the three of us remember that Mike Helton, the NASCAR president, had a media uh, video conference a few days later and announced that the penalty for Carl Edwards was a three-race probation. We see where we saw last week in Nashville Super Speedway in the nationwide race Jason Leffler put payback on James Boucher, and, and Leffler's penalty was a three-race probation. Lee, is this where NASCAR has drawn the line in the sand, basically, on penalties, three-race probation? I think it, it, you know, we'll have to see what kind of intent is involved. I mean, I think Carl Edwards pushed it to the very limit between getting even with somebody and just right on the cusp. And I think had, you know, had that been any more severe than it was, you probably would have seen a different attitude from NASCAR. But I think that that's pretty much going to be standard from here on out. Reed, what would what's it going to take for NASCAR to move that line 
to more than a three-race probation. That seems to be the standard at the moment. Well, I, I hate to say it, but it's going to be have to take something fairly devastating, I think. Um, you know, someone, as Lee said, someone may have to get hurt. But I think that just in terms of... Um, in, in terms of, of the NASCAR's stance on Edwards versus Leffler, um, you know, obviously Brad flipped upside down, went roof first into the wall, was pretty wobbly when he got out of the car. And I think that that's sort of had a chilling effect on other drivers and thinking, wow, you know, he didn't mean to do that, but look what happened and look what could have happened. And you know, in, in that respect, I don't think, as NASCAR did, you can always separate the consequences from the intent because, you know, it, as the old legal term goes, intent follows the bullet. If you fire a bullet into an empty house um, and it goes into a wall, no big deal. If it happens to kill somebody that you didn't know was in there, you're guilty of manslaughter. We have and less than two minutes left. Sorry to interrupt you. I want to have both of you comment on this before we leave. Should Dale Earnhardt Jr. fans be encouraged or discouraged so far this season, Lee? Well, I think that the changes that they made with meshing together the 5 and the 88 teams has had at least a stabilizing effect. I don't think you're going to see it go back any further. I think, you know, once you got the problem stabilized, now you move forward, now you build on that. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he pulls one out at Talladega. Reed, let's wrap up. I only have a few seconds left. Dale Jr. fans, encouraged or discouraged? Why shouldn't they be encouraged? He's in a chase-eligible position right now through six races. And if you'll remember, I, I told you that Jamie McMurray was going to win the Daytona 500 the last time I was on the show. I'm picking Dale Earnhardt Jr. to win here at Phoenix today. Wow. Okay. Damn. Well, with that, I want to say thank you very much to Lee Spencer of FoxSports.com, Reed Spencer of the Sporty News, and all our guests on this special edition of the Race Reporters Live from Phoenix International Raceway. This Wednesday in our normal time spot, NHRA funny car driver Melanie Troxell will be our newsmaker of the week. Please remember to listen to my friend Larry Henry's Pit Pass USA Tuesdays at 8 p.m. here on the Power Up channel. And remember, if you read and listen to good journalism, you'll be a better race fan. Thanks again for joining us for the Race Reporters with your host, Michael Knight. From IndyCar Racing to Powerboats, to Formula One and NASCAR, you're listening to PowerUpChannel.com, your motorsports channel. Welcome back to our special live edition here on the Power Up Motorsports Channel, Pit Pass USA with Larry Henry coming to you from Phoenix International Raceway. Beautiful sunny afternoon, and we're a little over two hours away from the start of the Subway Fresh Fit 600 NASCAR Sprint Cup race here today. The fans are all here. They're basking in the sunlight. And joining me right now is a man who's got a job I wouldn't mind having because <laughs> uh, he gets to go watch all types of racing. He is the director of Ford Racing, Jamie Allison. Jamie, welcome. Oh, thank you. How are you? I am doing great. And by the way, congratulations. You told me just before we started, this is your 100th day as uh, the director of Ford Racing? I tell you, it is one my 100th day. And what a milestone it is to celebrate because today we are on the pole with AJ here in NASCAR. Yesterday we had Carl on the pole. 
And out in uh, Houston, in 9HRA, we got the forces running one, two, three in uh, qualifying. And down in Barber, uh, in, uh, in Grand Am, we got the pole both in the DP and the GS. So I don't know how I can top that, but I think I do. <laughs> well, you got the World Rally Challenge. You got drifting. Uh, <laughs> there, there's a couple other ones that, uh, that you left out there. But Ford Racing is involved in a lot more than NASCAR, and I'm not sure a lot of people know that. Of course, they know John Force and Force Racing, obviously, from NHRA, because how can anyone not know John and Ashley Force Hood and, of course, Robert Hyde, who's his son-in-law, so he keeps it all in the family. But you are involved in all of these other uh, racing venues. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows our participation in NASCAR and NHRA, as you just said. Uh, we've recently uh, elevated our participation in Rally America, principally to support the launch of the Fiesta, an exciting, fun-to-drive, small car coming from Europe, over 40 miles to the gallon, yet cool enough to run in rally and win with Ken Block. So we're excited on the on that front. And in drifting, uh, we got Vaughn getting Junior driving our five-liter Mustang. So we're help showcasing our new products uh, through motorsports. Actually, Vaughn's uh, out at Long Beach, I believe, this week is uh, the drift. Yep, uh, it's the it's the start of their D1 season, and he's out with uh, the new sponsor, which is Monster. So him and Ken Block are got both with Monster, and he's out going to showcase what the five-liter Mustang can do. Now, how does Ford, I mean, you, we hear about manufacturers and, and the economic situation, yet where maybe other manufacturers have cut back, they're concentrating maybe NASCAR and one other, or only NASCAR only. Ford is involved in all these different platforms. Why? What makes sense for Ford to do this? I tell you, we are at the point now where our research, our customer research shows that almost half of the people who intend to buy a new car say they're motorsports fans. So basically, we're here in motorsports because we want to be with our customers. And when we ask those fans what motorsports do they follow, it's NASCAR, it's NHRA, it's Rally, and it's Grand Am. So we are in places that our fans, who are our customers, watch or participate in. Now, Ford doesn't just stick a blue oval on oh. the side of these machines. You do a lot more for, for the teams that are involved. Yeah, absolutely. For example, in Grand Am, the cars that races on the track is the car you can buy from the showroom floor. As a matter of fact, the car that you race in Grand Am and GS is a car you buy from the dealership as ready-to-race car, all with a stock uh, production engine that comes in a streetcar. So we're trying to showcase the capability of Mustang in Grand Am. And uh, same thing in, uh, we're doing in Fiesta. It's got a small I-4 cylinder in there, I mean, uh, an I-4, a 2-liter in there, which is a derivative of the 1.6 that's in Fiesta. So we're trying to showcase that the cars you see on the track are built and are capable enough and born from the cars you buy from the showroom floor. How big of an operation, though, is this for Ford Racing? Because I know you provide uh, engineering to... Uh to NASCAR, obviously, and trying to get uh, the Fords uh, up front and, and to win a championship. Uh, at NHRA, you just signed a new deal with John Force Racing that extends him uh, for five years. And you've been involved with the Boss 500 platform there, which which is the new engine, uh, which is moving on. You mentioned the, the, the Fiesta uh, program uh, last year in the X Games. Kenny Brack, former Indianapolis 500 winner, is a good friend of mine who thinks he's a rock band star, <laughs> had his own rock band for a while, uh, was, was the winner of that. But it's got to take a lot of people and a lot 
lot of money and a lot of engineering to, to be involved in all these series. Well, because we're building from production-based, uh, we're really starting with a strong foundation that's built by mainstream. And all we do is, in the case of Grand Am and Rally and Drifting, we basically build on the production uh, platform. When it comes to NASCAR and NHRA, we're affiliated with some great teams who have a lot of great resources, and all, all we do is support them through tools, access to uh, uh, technical resources, and some modeling or simulation. So really, it's a combination of great partners, it's a combination of great products that we have, and all with a great team to make this happen. Talking with Jamie Allison, the director of Ford Racing here in our special edition of Pit Pass USA Live from Phoenix International Raceway. And Jamie, I know, uh, I think it was last year, the year before, Jack Roush was always talking about these algorithms he was getting from the Ford Racing engineers and talked about our algorithms. Of course, he's a math guy. <laughs> People kind of forget that was his area of expertise, uh, was mathematics. And then I hear John Force also talking quite often about the technology uh, that Ford Racing has given him in the, in the safety area primarily. And that's another thing, the blue boxes in NHRA for top fuel and funny car, those actually are provided by Ford Racing. Absolutely. I mean, to compete at this level of racing, whether it's NASCAR or NHRA or even, you know, Grand Am or any form of racing, to compete at those levels, um, science and advancement in tools and electronics has come into play. Just like we see it in our, in our cars, it's making its way, and in many cases it is in, in its way, in this form of racing. It happens to manifest itself in simulations, modeling, testing, and uh, you mentioned the safety, the blue box. Um, you know, we, we tapped into the expertise within Ford Motor Company uh, who work on uh, uh, crash testing of our vehicles to help document, collect information on all the uh, uh, the runs that happens uh, in NHRA. Now you talked about how a lot of this racing is built on your everyday platforms, but how much of this racing technology is going back to that everyday streetcar? Because that used to be what racing was about. It was the proving ground. Is that still hold true today? Uh, it holds true today, uh, but we also recognize there's different uh, 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 different manifestation, different ways that people express themselves. There are some people who like to just watch ultimate forms of racing, and there's off-road racing, and there's, uh, in this case, there's NASCAR. People like to watch and, and, and uh, watch that form of racing. There's other places where there's participants uh, who want to race and compete at the track. And uh, basically, there's a lot of cascade. There's a lot of passing on down technology from what happens on the track into the car, specifically in Grand Am, because the car you race is the car you buy. For example, uh, in 2005, 2006, when we ran the Grand Am cars, uh, the car was fresh off the showroom floor, and then we were running a couple of runs out in Daytona, and the hood flew off. Well, we determined that basically we need some venting in the hood, so out comes the venting in the GT500. So there are still lessons to be learned from the track that's making its way into streetcars, and vice versa. Now the streetcars are becoming so strong that you can actually go out and race them, uh, which is the ultimate circle. Absolutely so, and everybody loves uh, loves the Mustang and likes the power there. NASCAR especially right now, uh, we've seen a little bit of a reemergence. Uh, Roush Fenway's kind of fallen on hard times, but uh, now we're starting to see Greg Biffle second in points. Matt Kenseth uh, is in third in points. A.J. Allmendinger, Richard Petty Motorsports, yeah, yeah. the 43 car on the pole <laughs> uh, here at Phoenix. And, and Casey Kane has, has been strong. And when you look at Paul Menard, what he's doing in oh. the top 12 in points, I'm sure it's been a lot of long hours between you, between uh, Roush and his group, between which was Yates Racing, yep. which is now Richard Petty Motorsports, to get to this point. I mean, how much burning of the midnight oil has there been? 
intense burning of the midnight oil uh, dating back to last year? Because I think this this uh, uh, resurgence, I'd like to say, of uh, starting with Roush and now the addition of RPM started late in the year, uh, and now f we're seeing the full fruits of that. I mean, to see, uh, we track everything that happens on every race weekend, and um, we our uh, top three, four drivers this year in the first six races, uh, the top finishing positions of those three drivers, it's 15 places better than they were in the same six races a year ago. So we are seeing significant improvement in our in our uh, positions. We're seeing significant improvement in the cross-communication uh, collaboration happened between RPM and, and Roush Racing. And we just need that one last get over the hump by landing our first win of the season. And I, I think it's on the cusp. How much work have you had to do along with the teams in recent weeks because NASCAR has gone away from the wing, gone to the spoiler, and occasionally you got the shark fin. Uh, the shark fin's <laughs> kind of been, been out of left field that you didn't know was coming, and suddenly there's a shark fin down the left side. <laughs> well, uh, Bernie Marcus is our aerodynamicist, and uh, he was integral and working very closely with NASCAR, and NASCAR relies on some of the input that he provides along with the other uh, uh, manufacturers and the team. So we have been, and testament to NASCAR, they really, really reach out to the manufacturers and the teams when it comes to making changes so um, uh, there's been a lot of effort and I think we'll start to see that as the as we wind our way down into some of the uh, super speedways and the longer tracks but yes we're very involved okay as director of Ford racing do you get to jump in uh, one of these hot rods from time to time and uh, go out on the racetrack somewhere <laughs> I tell you I was uh, taken on the hot lap by mr. Bodine down in, down in Daytona and man oh man it was just a stock Mustang but it was doing 145 miles an hour and to see all that on that track that was one and I went to a rally school just about a few weeks ago. So I get my fair share of getting in a car and going and feeling all the fun of a Ford. Now, were you, have you always been a, a car geek or a race car geek? Yeah, I've always been into speed. I wanted to be either an astronaut or a race car driver because I wanted to go fast. <laughs> so this job suits me quite well. And you're around a lot of fast people. There's no question about that. But, I mean, do you, do you ever get the itch to do more than that or did that drive with Bodine? I remember one time I was with, uh, I think it was Gordon Johncock, and we're going around, I think, Michigan International Speedway. And he goes, yeah, you want to drift it out to the wall here, and I'm sitting in the passenger seat, and I could have reached out and grabbed it. And he's driving one-handed yeah. through the turn, which I, you know, I want both hands on the wheel when we're going through here. Well, he's in Daytona over by the wall, over uh, um, over the uh, the tunnel, and I'm like, Bring that thing down because you don't realize, you know, because they're at ease, but you're the passenger. You're like, man, he's going to hit that wall. Um, no, I've always had it in me. And actually, I see Lynn St. James here. And I remember about 15 years ago, she gave me a couple of hot laps down at Road Atlanta in our new car. So I've, I've always been into cars. And uh, it's great to be a part of uh, this role where I can actually make some of this stuff happen around, uh, you know, returning us to winning and exhibiting our great products. How many events you get to go to? Because I, I really want your job to be able to do this <laughs> or to be in Houston right now watching NHRA mm -hmm. or, or down at uh, Barber where the Grand Am Rolex and Continental Tire series is running or world rally challenge would be even better because they run in some really neat countries over in europe and uh, elsewhere well i mean i have to reach out to our uh, uh, uh be close to our teams uh, be close to the series and be close to our fans. So every weekend I'm in a different series. So this weekend I'm in NASCAR. Next week I'll be in uh, NHRA. The following week I'll be down at VIR for Grand Am. And after that I'll be at Rally. So I 
this is uh, what I'd be doing anyways. You're living the dream of a lot of race fans out there. Jamie, thanks for stopping by, and uh, and good luck with the Ford contingent today. Thank you, and go Ford today. Jamie Allison, the director of Ford Racing, and I will say I do some freelance work for Ford Racing, so I, I know a lot about their product uh, in full disclosure here. Thank you much. We've got more coming from here in our special uh, broadcast on the Power Motorsports Channel from Phoenix International Raceway in just a moment. Welcome back to our special live broadcast here in the Power Up of Motorsports Channel, live from Phoenix International Raceway, where the Subway Fresh Fit 600 NASCAR Sprint Cup race is taking place in, let's see, about two and a half hours, approximately, if I read the clock correctly. I haven't reset my watch from Eastern Time Zone, but we could not be doing this uh, today without a bevy of sponsors that uh, have joined us, and one of those is Top-Notch Transportation. Adam Burkhalter is the owner, but joining me now, I'm glad I got the better half of this deal. Uh, I have the Director of Operations, Jackie Brand. Jackie, welcome. Hi, thank you. Uh, I, I think the only reason we did this is because Stephanie Paulus, our executive uh, producer of the Power Motorsports Channel, wanted to be driven around in a limo. Now, have you heard anything like that? I mean, female drivers. <laughs> Let's talk about what you do. I know this, this started out, I, I believe, with Adam. It's a very small operation, kind of providing rides uh, to people. You know, you people, you go out and you party, and, oh, suddenly you go, oops. Uh, I don't want Sheriff Joe uh, locking me away and putting the peak underwear on me. So you give a call to someone and get picked up, and, and now this whole operation has grown out of that. I'm assuming that's kind of where it started and has grown? It has. Uh, we also get your cars home. Uh, it did start from the strict DUI laws here in Arizona, and we've just grown. Uh, we do clubs, resorts, private events, any of that stuff, fleet of 10 cars. Uh, we're based out of Scottsdale, Arizona. So... And, and you talked about getting people's cars home, and I, I actually heard of some services like that now where, okay, you, you don't want to leave your car. Okay, maybe you've had one too many, whatever your favorite beverage is, and you go, yeah, I don't need to drive, but I don't want to leave my car because now i got to get all the way back tomorrow, and who knows when I'm going to feel like it in the morning. But you provide that service too? Yes, we do. Now, how does that work? Um, basically, it's just the same price as it would be to get you home. So, you know, instead of taking a taxi the next day to get it, uh, you just take it home with you at the same time you want to leave. So some you two people show up and one, one drives the, the person's car home? Yep. And then someone follows along or else they're in the limo or, or the yes. car that you provide. And so then they get to go home. Yeah. So you got your car. The next morning when you get up, maybe you've got, you know, a tea time at uh, 10 o'clock or something. <laughs> and you don't have to go, oh, where did I leave my car last night? So I, I'm assuming that sir, you said you've got 10 vehicles right now. Are, are you looking to expand more? I'm sure there's a, a big market for this. There is, uh, especially with the strict UI laws here, and uh, even people in town, that kind of stuff, you know, it just gets bigger and bigger. So, yeah, eventually we'll expand, and we want to go into other uh, states and stuff. So, Is it, is it mostly clubs uh, that you see, or, or is it everyone or going to events? Um, it's clubs, resorts, any of that stuff. A lot of uh, smaller resorts don't have car companies, so we do uh, service them, that kind of thing. Well, it, it sounds like a great deal, and I, I saw when uh, when Adam and you came to pick up Stephanie the other night because there was a function here mm -hmm. out at uh, Phoenix International Raceway on, on Thursday night, and we'd been out here most of the day. We were, we were kind of worn, and I'm glad that someone was able to drive her out here and drive her back home uh, because it was... Uh, you know, kind of a tiring day, but but that's going to be good because you don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to go, okay, where's the exit? Where am I going? They can give you the directions and mm -hmm. just sit back and relax. 
and have a good time when yep. they get to the venue and have a good time on the way home and not worry about anything. And, you know, that's that's going to be worth the price of admission no matter what. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. And another thing is, you know, you don't have to hassle with the parking, all that kind of stuff, you know. We have all the passes usually. And uh, also if you're going out to any clubs, that kind of stuff, we do get you in, that kind of stuff. Just nice little gestures. So they like that. Okay, here's the big question. How do they get a hold of top-notch transportation and find out about you? Um, you can visit our website at uh, www.topnotchtransportation.com or give us a call at 602-505-5453. Okay, who's the most famous person that you've uh, you've transported around, or do you have any? Or was it Stephanie? I mean, I'd have to say Stephanie. Oh, Stephanie. Well, <laughs> you guys got a long way to go. Got a long way to go if Stephanie is the most famous person that you've transported around. Well, thank you, and thank you guys for, for being a part of this and help making this happen out of Phoenix International Raceway. We, we hope it uh, pays big dividends for you, and we, we look uh, to see you in the future. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Jackie Brand, who is the... Uh, Director of Operations for uh, Top Notch uh, Transportation. Again, Scottsdale, Arizona, www.topnotchtransportation.com. I got that right, right? Okay. Uh, and you can check out their services and uh, and go from there. We've got coming up later uh, in this hour, uh, Lynn St. James is going to be dropping by. Of course, uh, Jamie Allison was talking about her. She had drove for Ford. She was the 1992 Indianapolis 500 Rookie of the Year, if you don't know about that. Uh, we're also going to hear later on uh, from Roger Penske. We will hear from uh, Chip Ganassi. Uh, Kyle Petty. Uh, we're going to hear from uh, Kyle Petty here today. And uh, some other guests. Uh, I understand we may have a very famous uh, kind of sandwich guy that might stop by following the driver's meeting who is kind of involved in all of this Subway Fresh Fit 600 stuff. So we're going to wait and see if uh, he drops by today, too. So uh, hang in there. We've got a lot of great things coming to you. Beautiful day here. The the crowd is uh, rolling in here to Phoenix International Raceway. And we'll be back with more here in our special edition of Pit Pass USA from PIR on the Power Up Motorsports Channel. Raceway. I'm Larry Henry, your host on Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock Eastern for Pit Pass USA. Today, though, we are coming to you live from Phoenix International Raceway as we prepare for the Subway Fresh Fit 600 NASCAR Sprint Cup race. And joining me now is I broadcast her race when she was the 1992 Indianapolis 500 Rookie of the Year because I was out in the third term broadcasting for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network. And I've met her on several occasions. Uh, Lynn St. James. Lynn, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. doesn't seem like 1992 was that long ago. I know. Um, it's just a few years ago is the way I say it, right? Absolutely. And a lot has changed since that point in time. I know you've been involved with, with uh, women in racing and helping and and showing the way there but it, it amazes me right now as we start this i look around in indycar i think there were four women that started in brazil the first race of the season right there's a ton of women in nhra right now right uh and then uh i hate to say this i look around where i'm at right now uh billy joe Cobb's about the only one on a regular basis and she's in the truck series and kind of funding that herself through a clothing line that she built uh the other two series are doing pretty good bringing in a lot of women well you know it's it's a tough sport. I mean, it's tough for anybody to get into. It's tough for anybody to get the opportunity. So I've been all about the, you know, finding uh, the cream of the crop, these really young gals that have been out there, you know, racing go-karts or quarter midgets since they were five or six years old and, and kind of capturing them when they're in their early teens. And um, and they have big dreams, you know. Well, it's going to take a few years before they get old enough even to, you know, to get into this category. And uh, But, you know, like I, I 
was here Thursday night when they had the uh, the K&N series, and there was a gal in that race, and she ended up starting 28th and finished 13th. So they're there. It's just a matter of are they, they've got to stay the course, they've got to be able to get good equipment, um, and they've got to be able to, you know, get to the to where they want to go, and it's going to take a while to get there. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, one of the things I try to do on my, my weekly program is to have on up-and-coming drivers, maybe pe- drivers that people don't know about around the country. That's really good to do. And, and there's there's a lot of female drivers. I actually found one. It was on Twitter. And she is, I want to say, 11 years old and is racing stock cars in Ohio and doing really well. That could be Sloan Henderson. I don't know. I uh, mean, yeah. that's, you know, she's from Ohio and and I know has been racing in the Legends and the, uh, in those, you know, the young ones. But there's a lot of, now, I, I know it was it was tough in your day. It was tough when Desiree Wilson came uh, came on board and, and, and was running. And, and you just go on, on down the list. Uh, is it easier or, or tougher on women to get in the sport? I mean, right now, I think anybody can get in if you got the money. And that's that's a big thing. I mean, in the, in the major league levels, you got to have the money somewhere. Well, it, it's not just money. I mean, you really have to have the depth of experience so that you can be competitive. It's. I mean, look at the, the grid here. I mean, it's less than a second between first and and who did, who's going home. I looked at the grid of, of the Indy cars out at Barber, and it's the same deal. I mean, they're they're not cutting them off, so they're not going home. But you don't want to either be at the back or, or or go home. So you really have to get the experience, and I think that is the tougher deal. If you have the experience, experience meaning and you have the talent um, I, I don't want to say the money will happen but the, you know the, the really good teams they are out getting funding for the team and they pick what driver they want so that's the coveted spot you want to really try to get if you know, everybody thinks it's all money, and even though money is what <laughs> is going to attract a team owner to be able to take a woman driver maybe over someone else, and particularly over maybe a guy that has some funding, is nobody wants to nobody wants to, to invest in the training and, and all that. So you've got to come ready. That is the thing. You have got to come ready. You can't. You know, you can't use this uh, platform as a way to get experience. I hate it when somebody's at a, at a major track and saying, well, I'm just trying to here to get some experience. This is not what you want to come ready. And that's what I'm trying to, you know, focus on. How many women do, do you kind of talk to or see on, on, we'll just say on a yearly basis, that are trying to make their way into racing, whether it, it, it's open wheel, whether it's sports car, whether they're looking to do stock car racing. How many do you come across? Well, we are, we, of course, on my website, if you go to lindsaytjames.com, we have an application for our Driver Development Academy. I've been doing that for 15 years. We've had over 280 drivers from 38 states and five countries attend. Um, so I get applications um, throughout the year. We start everybody at phase one. Uh, we, we tap it out at the maximum of 25 drivers. So in, in the last 15 years I've actually physically talked to worked with trained 280 you know roughly um, but on a, you know now I mean we probably get over 50 applications a year to, to uh, for those 20 coveted or 24 max coveted spots and I don't fill it it's a matter of I want the best ones out there so right now uh, two weeks from now in Phoenix we'll have 11 drivers show up for phase two of our program which is all about the business of the sport we, we concentrate on physical fitness on on mental exercises and mental preparation um, the business side it's all off-track stuff so you know we we work with on a on an ongoing basis, I'm probably working with anywhere from 15 to 20 drivers a year uh, and their parents, because obviously it's the parents are the very much a critical piece of the puzzle when they're really young. They live at home, they're going to school, and the parents in many cases are either funding it or they're managing their, their kids' careers or, or their activities. It's not really a career yet. Um, so, you know, it, it keeps me busy. 
Yeah, Women in the Winter Circle Foundation. Uh, you founded that back in 1994, and I know you also have a uh, Women in the Winter Circle exhibit at a place I know well because it's uh, close to where I live, uh, the Henry Ford, which is this wonderful museum uh, that it's really more than a, a museum when you see it uh, in Dearborn. It's right next to uh, Ford Motor Company. Uh, that are there, and actually the test tracks right across the street. Yeah, I used to be out there at the test track a lot when I was with Ford. Absolutely, but it, it's it's a great exhibit at a great facility. Talk about what's in that exhibit. Well, um, the Henry Ford obviously is it's actually it's America's greatest history museum, and it's about history. Um, the Women in the Winter Circle Traveling Exhibit. I don't want to correct you, but it's not at the Henry Ford. Oh, they not. no, they actually helped me design and create this oh, because okay. I didn't know how to do exhibits, you know. <laughs> and so um, it's it's currently at the Daytona 500 Experience and has been there since January but it's leaving and it's going to go to Los Angeles hopefully to the Peterson Museum and then it'll be it'll travel for five years it, it ultimately will end up at the Henry Ford but it's going to travel all around the Henry Ford actually wants to have a permanent archive on the history of women in racing but what I found out was we had this incredibly rich history going back to 1903 and so it kind of chronicles by eras um, we, we call it the pioneer era the trail the trailblazer era and so I didn't know that these women existed back in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and the 50s I kind of knew about from Shirley on, you know, Shirley Muldowney. I knew about Shirley. I knew about, I, I found out about Denise McCluggage, who kind of was more from the 50s. But there were so many, and so many that were winning races and accomplishing great things. And so we're about storytelling, and we're about the collecting this sort of history of, of women and that, that were very successful in racing. Some fascinating, fascinating stories. And so this exhibit has the, it has about 50 drivers that it chronicles their, their bios, their background. We have an interactive kiosk. Um, um, so that and that that information on the kiosk will be available on the Henry Ford website. So if you go to henryford.org, it's not up yet, but it will be shortly. So they're to the, so that way people can find out what part of the world they might want to see how many women were from Germany. You know, Jutta Kleinschmidt won the Paris Dakar Rally in 2001. Um, or they might want to see where from the, what state, you know, they might want to check by that or what women were drag racers or what so you can actually um, sort by different types of racing. But it's just an overview but it's a it's great storytelling and and um, it's been pretty exciting to find out, you know, we think we're so unique. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> you know, it's not so. I mean, the, the, I'm just one that's passing through, and uh, it's been fabulous. Yeah, I think my, my first recognition of women racing, one, Shirley Muldowney, second, Janet Guthrie at Indianapolis, because I was involved, and then, of course, you came along. Uh, well, you mentioned Desiree, too. Which, who Desiree, was, yeah, absolutely, yeah, Desiree yeah. Wilson came from Formula One. Right, right. So, I mean, Desiree had was world-class, I mean, you know, and then, of course, didn't have success at Indy, but had success everywhere else. So, um, but those were that handful. You know, people think there's a handful. And we've got over 50. And, and of that, 29 are the young up-and-coming females that we. I really wanted to talk about the future. So what's kind of cool about the exhibit is it talks about the past. And then, of course, it talks about the present. So we have, you know, Danica and Sarah and Melanie and Ashley. And so we have the present. But then we also talk about the future because the future is bright. I mean, it's, it's a tough sport. It's going to be hard to break into it and to get them all the way up there. But there's a lot of them coming. Talking about the future, how do young women that want to find out more, learn more, get in touch with you? You talked about the application and, and all of that. How do they go about that? 
in the process. It's real simple. Just go to my website, lindsaintjames.com. It's one end, but I think if you even put two in, it'll come up. (laughs) And and if you go to the foundation and there's the Driver Development Academy and you click on the the application process. And, of course, you know, I tell anybody that says, oh, how, you know, my little girl says, oh, I want to be a race car driver. What do we do? You know, well, you start in go-karts. I mean, that's the cheapest, easiest way to find out if it's really something that kind of hits your hot buttons and you have some skill at. And, of course, there's quarter midgets. There's junior dragsters. So there's a lot. You know, moms and dads are now saying it's okay for our daughters to do what's always been okay for our sons to do. So I think we're going to see a whole new, um, you know, just a whole new change uh, happening and with these young gals. And so I'm, I'm delighted that that's happening now. Yeah, I think if you go to your local track on Friday and Saturday night, you're going to see a lot of young women uh, that are racing and that are doing the quarter midgets, that are doing the various uh, different levels of racing. I know there's several in USAC these days, too. Uh, and uh, it's just they need publicity and, and need a little more uh, people paying attention to them and, yeah. and to keep honing their skills. I mean, the media, you know, it's hard to keep track of everything. I understand that. I'm not trying to ding the media. But at the same time, I think, you know, if they do go down a little more grassroots, they're going to find that it's about 25% of go-kart racers, about 30% of quarter midget racers, about 50% of junior dragsters. So they're out there. Well, Lem, we thank you much uh, for stopping by. Uh, congratulations on what you're doing. Thank you. I want to say that. Uh, that that's great that you are, are doing that. And uh, I'm just going to put a quick plug in that if somebody goes to my website, they can sponsor me at a go-kart race on, on <laughs> April 19th because all the money, a dollar a lap, and all the money goes to the foundation. And it's at the, the Bondurant Performance <laughs> yeah, Racetrack. Yeah, yeah. we got a whole group of folks that are driving uh, 100 laps out there. Is Bob going to suit up and go, Bob Bondurant? I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't like go-karts. He likes real things. Oh, <laughs> that's true. Well, thank you very much for stopping by. It brings back uh, some great memories of uh, Indianapolis and elsewhere and watching you in, in sports cars and other types of vehicles. I love it. Thanks. Thanks. Len St. James joining us here. Stay with us. We've got a lot more coming from here at Phoenix International Raceway on our special broadcast here on the Power Up Motorsports Channel. The Phoenix International Raceway, it is a beautiful day here in the Valley of the Sun. The people are on the hillside, sweltering in the sun. We're supposed to be about 89 today. It's not bad out there at all. Uh, We're getting ready for the uh, Subway Fresh Fit 600 here at Phoenix International Raceway. We're going to see if Jimmy Johnson can win for the fifth time in the last six races that the Sprint Cup guys have run here. And speaking of racing... How about a dentist that uses racing involved in his business? And we're going to be talking about that with Gary Takis from the Takis Learning Center and does dental implants. Uh, welcome. And thanks thanks for being a part of this broadcast. Larry, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's exciting to be here. Now, let's talk about a little bit about uh, your business. You are a dentist. I'm actually not a dentist. You're not I, a dentist. I play one on TV. But uh, I'm actually not a dentist. My whole business is the business side of dentistry, and I've spent the last 30 years helping dentists develop more successful practices. Ah, and what does that entail? Ah, Well, you know, dentists learn how to be clinical in their schooling, and they learn how to take care of patients, and they learn how to uh, restore teeth. However, they don't learn a lot about the business side, and uh, my business has discovered that niche, and I help dentists uh, succeed at the business side to be able to help more people have gorgeous, attractive smiles. Well, we all love that. Uh, we like to see those. But you do it somewhat in a unique way. You actually involve motorsports in learning. I do. Uh, about 10 years ago, Larry, uh, well, first of all, let me back up. I happen to be one of these people that believes that we ought to have a good time at work. And uh, I think I'm preaching in the choir here because it looks like you're having a great time. <laughs> I try to. <laughs> but I, I love the idea of combining work and fun. You know, we spend more time working than we do doing anything else. We ought to have a good time doing it. And so part of what the Tacus Learning Center does 
is uh, we give courses and we help dentists uh, uh, learn new skills, new techniques, and new strategies to uh, uh, improve the business aspect of their practice. So about 10 years ago, I started a little division of what we do called Ride and Learn. And this is where we take dentists on, wait for it, Harley-Davidson motorcycle Whoa. tours. <laughs> that could be trouble. In, in my other life, I enjoy riding Harley-Davidson motors. I, I, I like anything that moves. You know, two wheels, four wheels, it can fly, too. Uh, but uh, I simply started a division called Ride and Learn where we take dentists on Harley-Davidson motorcycle tours, and we combine it with uh, a wonderful ride through this fantastic country of ours. We tend to visit national parks, and we go on a terrific ride visiting great parts of the country, and we combine the trip with very serious dental continuing education. So each night in the lodge from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock at night, uh, we actually uh, conduct courses uh, to help dentists improve the business side of their practice. And then um, a good friend of mine uh, said, you know, Gary, not all dentists ride motorcycles. And uh, he said, you ought to do something with cars. And so uh, we started Race and Learn uh, about uh, nine years ago where we go out to racetracks around the country and combine a very serious dental continuing education course with high-performance driving. What type of uh, cars, when you say high performance, are, are you out on the well, track in? Well, for example, uh, right here in the Greater Phoenix area, we uh, have uh, partnered with the Bob Bondurant School of High Performance Driving, and we go out, and uh, Bob and his team... So on Friday, if I can explain, Larry, how we do this, on Friday we go out and we convert their museum there to a teaching theater, and we put on a, a dental continued education course on Friday. And then on Saturday, we turn it over to their instructors, and uh, that particular course, they take us through 10 different exercises, and we drive everything from go-karts. We'll start out with go-karts. So we get out on the skid pad. Uh, we do some accident avoidance exercises. We do some lead and follow. And we will uh, also uh, uh, drive uh, Z06 Corvettes around the track. So uh, tough duty, but someone's got to do it. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. Now, now, the Harley thing, I know in my state, I'm from Michigan, you got to have a motorcycle license before you can get on board. So do they have to do some training or get their license before they do that Correct. part? On Ride and Learn, the dentist actually does have to have a motorcycle license. And we get a lot of calls from dentists, and they visit the website and say that, uh, I used to ride when I was younger, but I'm not active. We direct them uh, to Motorcycle Safety Foundation to go out and get a, get a license. And then we ask them to get a little experience under their belt and then come join us. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. And it's got to be a way to open up uh, the learning because it's not all just classroom and boring. They're having fun. And then getting back in, but is it tough after a day being either riding the motorcycle or racing, being on the racetrack of getting them back in the mode of Okay, i got to come down off of this adrenaline rush and, and, and focus on what, I, what you're trying to teach them? Well, Larry, that's a great question. And you know what we found is that the, we've got a community. We've got a, a community of people that come to these courses, and there's uh, two commonalities. They absolutely love dentistry. They're passionate about dentistry, but they also uh, like to have some fun. And the idea was to take them out of a stuffy classroom. You know, most of the courses are done in, in uh, hotel meeting rooms with folding chairs. We wanted to take them outside of a stuffy meeting room and make the learning experience come alive. Uh, what's always amazing to me is just how much learning goes on. Uh, you know, whether it's at lunch or at the breaks or anywhere, uh, we really have a chance to uh, create a memorable experience for them. Well, it's, it's great. It sounds like a lot of fun. Now, how do people find out more about this? Best way is to visit the website, uh, TacusLearningCenter.com. Uh, I should spell my last name, T-A-K-A-C-S, TacusLearningCenter.com. And uh, we've got a segment of the site that talks about these courses. And uh, we, uh, we would love to have new, uh, new guests come out and join us. Uh, if, if, uh, you know, the, the, the qualifier is that uh, they need to, to uh, love their profession and want to have a good time. And if they meet those two, they're welcome. It's not just here in the Phoenix area? All across the country? In fact, international. We have uh, dentists that come uh, join us from all over the world. Well, that's great. And uh, it sounds like a lot of fun. And I'd, I'd really, 
you know, if I was a dentist, I'd, I'd go, I'm going to do that just whether I learn anything or not. I'm going to go do it because I'm going to have a fun time. And I, I'm sure they all think, you know, it is interesting. And I know a lot of people that have done that. I, I've seen this now coming up, carding centers, indoor carding centers, where they do the same thing. But you take it to a bigger bigger level. Now, like I said, we really have a great time with it. And uh, it's the idea of uh, combining two passions uh, of ours, which is teaching and uh, motorsports. And uh, as you know, the motorsports uh, world is so exciting. And there's so many different aspects of it that uh, we try to introduce uh, our guests to it, and uh, we find that uh, it's just a wonderful combination. Well, Gary, congratulations. I want to shake your hand. Uh, I'm glad you're using motorsports in your business, and and good luck. Thanks, Larry. Great to be here. Gary Tack is from the uh, Tackus Learning Center. We thank him for being one of our sponsors here. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to well, an iconic person. I mean, you hear of Shaq. You hear of Kobe, Michael, those names. We've got someone you know him by one name only. We'll talk to him next year as we continue with our live special broadcast from the Power Up Motorsports channel from Phoenix International Raceway. Power Up, your motorsports channel. See it, breathe it, feel it. Welcome back to our special Power Motorsports Channel live broadcast from Phoenix International Raceway. We're getting ready for the Subway Fresh Fit 600. And who better to join us to talk about that? I said he's iconic, uh, like a Shaq, like a Kobe. It's Jarrett. That's all we need to say. It's Jarrett. Jarrett, <laughs> Jarrett Fogel's with us. Uh, we were just talking because we're both Indiana boys. How you doing? I'm doing great. And see, it could be Jared from Subway. So it could be from could be my middle name, and Subway could be my my new last name. Now, how long have you been with? It seems like forever, and you don't look like you're past 25. <laughs> no, I've been. You know, I'm 32 now. I've been doing this uh, for going on 11, almost 12 years now, and uh, you know, knocking wood. I was just a college kid back at Indiana University in uh, in uh, 1998. Weighed over 425 pounds. Needed to lose a whole bunch of weight and uh, lived next door to a Subway. Started eating uh, the low-fat Subway sandwiches twice a day for about a year. Started walking a half hour a day as well. And in that one year, lost about 245 pounds total. And uh, very fortunate, a buddy of mine wrote an article about me in the local campus newspaper at Indiana University. And then that article got picked up. And before I knew it, wound up in Subway's hands. And here we are 11 years later. Wow. It, 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 it's been an amazing trip for you. And, and you have. You've become iconic. I mean, you... You are the symbol of Subway. It, you know, it's been surreal, I'll tell you. I never started, never, this was never my goal. My goal is just to get the weight off and become healthier. Uh, I was you know, just sick and tired of the way my life had become, obviously. But, you know, to have all this opportunity these last 11 years and the fact now that the story continues to inspire people, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great, humbling feeling that, uh, you know, I want, no matter where I am in the country, people are coming up and saying, hey, how do you do it? How can I do it? Hey, I lost my own 30 pounds eating Subway as well. Or, you know, my sister did it or whatever it might be. And the, the fact is people say if that Jared guy can do it, I can do it too. And it's just been it's, it's been a lot of fun. Okay, uh, Mr. Tubbo here, uh, <laughs> that's sitting beside of you. Uh, I mean, it's at times it's easy to get it off, but it's really tough keeping it off. How it do is. you do that? You know, I'm only human like anybody else, and it is absolutely you're absolutely right. It is very very tough, and it's way harder for anybody who's not had to fight the weight battle to keep weight off than it is to lose it in the first place. You're absolutely right. But um, you know, I still eat Subway a couple days a week. I don't eat it every single day anymore. Uh, besides that, um, just you know, I try, I try to work out now. Actually, this year, my new commitment to myself is I'm actually tra training now to complete the ING New York City Marathon this fall in New wow. York. So I'm not going to run the entire thing, but I'm going to complete it. 
it, and that's my goal. Uh, but besides that, just eating in moderation, you know, uh, and, and, and of course, I said, I still eat Subway occasionally. Subway just came out this past week with breakfast options now that are low in fat, low in calories, like the uh, Western egg white, muffin melt, and whatnot. So incorporating those kinds of things into my, my daily routine as well. And uh, knock on wood, so far, so good. How much fun has it been in this role to meet the people like here? I know you were with Carl Edwards in the Media Center. Yeah. You, you've, you've met so many celebrities uh is there one that stands out or are you just overwhelmed that you, that you get to meet all these people it's just it, i feel like a kid in a candy store i really do you know it, it I'm, I'm a huge sports fan so anytime i get to work with athletes like carl edwards or michael strahan or michael phelps or we have Layla Ali with us today. She's the uh, honorary grand starter uh, uh, for the race. And, and just those kinds of things are, are just phenomenal to me. And I said, growing up in Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana, being from a big big uh, sports state anyway, uh, it's just a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, Subway has a lot of these famous fans who have appeared in the ads with us as well. And it just shows you that, uh, you know, they're just as much a, a Subway fan as the rest of us are. We were both talking about the Butler Bulldogs in the NCAA tournament because I used to play. We had a media league when I worked in Indianapolis that played at Hinkle Fieldhouse with coaches where uh, Hoosiers, the climatic scenes were shot. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, to- I told you I was doing uh, at the Pacers game, and Barbara Hershey came and asked for extras because they didn't have enough people one <laughs> night uh, at halftime to shoot that. But for, for Indiana people, basketball is our religion. And to watch Butler it make it to the NCAA championship game uh, makes all of us proud wherever we live. It was a lot of fun. You know, I got to go to the games this past Saturday to see Butler uh, beat Michigan State and then stayed around for the Duke-West Virginia game. So that was a blast. I couldn't make the actual championship game, but, of course, I was watching it on TV. Uh, but, you know, as I said, and also in Indianapolis, you know, we, have, we know a little something about racing, too. Of course, we have Absolutely. the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, with IRL. And, of course, now with NASCAR taking on, I think I think, I think the NASCAR race is actually more popular now than the, uh, than the, than the Indianapolis Don't 500. I know, I know. I've got to bite my tongue a little bit. But, no, you know, it's a lot of fun. And it's great to see NASCAR in there in the summer. And uh, the Indianapolis fans really supporting it as well. Well, thank you very much for stopping yeah, by. I know you've so got much. other things to do. Uh, eat Subway. Absolutely. I, eat fresh. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Where, where's ours at? I don't see any here. We'll bring you some breakfast sandwiches. How about that? Okay. Yeah, that's or at least some gift cards. Well, well, that'll, that'll, that'll work great. <laughs> hey, we're always looking for freebies. We're in the broadcast industry. That's what we live for. Thank you much for stopping by. Thank you by. so much. Take care. And it's great talking to an Indiana boy. And uh, the next person we want to talk to is a gentleman I've known since 1982 when he was a rookie at the Indianapolis 500. In fact, he was the fastest rookie that year. He was driving for a little team out of Columbus, Indiana at the time. That's Chip Ganassi. And I had a chance to talk with Chip. Well, first, Chip, I haven't seen you since Daytona and winning the Daytona 500. Congratulations. Thank you very much, Larry. It's, uh, I'll tell you what, it was a shocker to me. We uh, Leading on the white flag lap, that's usually the kiss of death there at Daytona. But Jamie McMurray and having those uh, ECR engines and the Chevrolet power, uh, we got the Bass Pro car right up there where it needed to be on the final lap as well as the white flag lap. What did that mean for you? You've won the Indianapolis 500. You've won Grand Am titles. What did winning Daytona in the 500 mean to you? Well, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways, it, it, it validated, you know, the, the way we run the team and the, the way we operate. You know, we're not known as one of the big, uh, the big teams here in NASCAR, but, you know, those guys can be, uh, you can compete with those guys, uh, you know, g- given the right set of circumstances, and then that, that presented itself there in Daytona. You know, everything's been shuffled the last couple of years with, with your NASCAR operation and now the Earnhardt-Ganassi uh, combination. And you got two drivers down to two cars this year, but Jamie wins there. And, and Juan, we've known Juan since he came over. You started running him back in the back in the old kart series. But you, you got sure. two quality drivers. They're putting quality performances and both have a real good shot at being in the chase and winning this thing. You know, it's, uh, it, you know, 
I'll tell you, it's been a lot of work, but a lot of fun the whole way. I, I, I love racing here in NASCAR. I, I love the competition. I like the uh, the fellowship of the, you know, the competitors. And uh, just like the IndyCar series, you know, I'm like the... Uh, I'm like the gambler. It doesn't matter what the uh, what the game is. I just like to gamble, you know. And that's kind of how I am about racing. I'm, I'm I'm really hooked on racing, you know. I don't know if it's Indy cars or NASCAR or sports cars, Grand Am. I like it all, and I, I feel I'm blessed to be to be involved in it in such a great sport, and and honored to represent the the, the companies we represent and the the people that work for us. I'm honored to represent them. And the drivers that we have drive for us. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a blessed guy to be able to do all that. How much is the competition with Roger Penske? Because he's done all those things, the Indy 500, Daytona, and all. And, and you and him have always seemed to have that friendly rivalry. We do. You know, he's a good, he's a great competitor and a great friend. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's obvious, uh, it's, it's not, not any surprise that Roger sets the bar uh, in, in, in a lot of areas in this sport, and uh, he sets the bar high, and it's a good thing to shoot at, and it's nice to have a target, and uh, it's nice to have target and have a target, I should say. And, uh, you know, Roger's that uh, for our team, and uh, he's a great competitor, and, uh, you know, uh, the sport needs more people like that. You and I were talking before we started this interview. You and I go back. The first time we met was 1982. You were driver for Jack Rhodes out of Columbus, Indiana. Right. A little team that basically the race shop was a glorified pull barn. The three guys that were the full-time crew, their real job is moving heavy machinery at Cummins Engine Company. Yeah. Yet you went to Indianapolis, were the quickest rookie of the year, and, and you got really involved in, in racing big time right there from a little itty-bitty start. I'll tell you, it's a dream come true for any kid in America, and... Uh, I was I just it was lucky I happened to be in the right place at the right time I guess and had a lot of good support around me had great parents that uh, supported me and uh, you know uh, great teams and great people I've been able to work with over the years it's uh, it's been a dream come true Larry all I know is I have more pictures from your dad over the years that suddenly an envelope would show up and there'd be Polaroids even one of me coming out of a Porta John once right. uh, that your dad had taken on me which which was really interesting uh, he, he is always was a character that I, I enjoy being around and uh, you're kind of a, a chip shall we say off the old block well thanks that's nice to hear I'm a lucky guy to have such a great father and uh, you know he uh, he used to raise an eyebrow when I told him I was a young kid I wanted to go racing but uh he was always there for me and uh, still is, so uh, he knows you'll be getting an envelope this week. Very quickly, what do you look for here at, at Phoenix and for the rest of the year? Can you can you win the championship? I'm sure that's the goal with either Juan or, or, or Jamie. Yeah, I mean, you know, Juan and Jamie both, we've had a little bit of bad luck the last couple of weeks at Martinsville and Bristol. We came out of there with, you know, not the points we were looking forward to. So uh, it's just been a little bit of a challenge, but there's plenty of season to go here yet. So, uh you know, we were about so we're about the same place we were a year ago in the season, and we did all right last year towards the end of the year. So, uh, we're optimistic. Also, good luck at, at Barber Motorsports Park, both IndyCar and uh, in your Grand Am team this weekend too. It's all going on this weekend everywhere. We're everywhere. You are everywhere, Chip. Thank much. Thanks, Larry. Chip Ganassi again. I've known him since 1982. I'm old. I am really, really old. Uh, Chip, people forget that he was uh, an IndyCar driver. He actually had a horrendous accident at Michigan International Speedway. He was in a coma for days when he was driving for Pat Patrick, and he came back from that and jumped back into uh, a race car. And now he's uh, built this team. And by the way, they won today in the Grand Am Rolex Series. Uh, Scotty Pruitt and Mimo Rojas uh, won down at Barber Motorsports Park in sports car racing. So there, there's another victory, and they lead the points. Let's see, they've had a second, a win, 
win and a win. So they're doing pretty doggone good. Well, next hour, it's going to be our final hour here live. We are going to hear from Roger Penske. We're going to hear from Kyle Petty. And we're going to hear from a lot of other people. So stay with us here in our special live broadcast from Phoenix International Raceway here on the Power Up Motorsports Channel. Welcome back to Phoenix International Raceway. I'm Larry Henry, your host of Pit Pass USA Tuesday nights here on the Power of Motorsports channel. We're on at 8 p.m. Eastern, and kind of what you're hearing today, it's uh, kind of eclectic with my show. I'm all over the dial, uh, NASCAR, IndyCar, uh, USAC, NHRA, IHRA, uh, go-karts, you name it. Uh, I try to cover it and have different people on. Today, we're primarily focusing in on NASCAR. And when you talk about NASCAR, well, there's one name that jumps to the top. That is the Petty family. Of course, the King uh, Richard Petty, a seven-time NASCAR champion, but also his son, Kyle Petty. And I had a chance to sit down with Kyle and talk a little bit about NASCAR. Gatorade Victory Lane, where most drivers want to be, and I've got a guy that's uh, been to a Victory Lane once or twice, uh, Kyle Petty. Very busy guy these days. Busy doing nothing. Um, I'd rather be out there riding around in circles, but yeah, since I'm not driving, uh, doing the stuff with speed, uh, doing the stuff with the Victory Junction Game Camp, uh, doing the stuff with Turner. Um, what else am I doing? I don't know. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. You think when you were tired from doing something, you could take a little time off. I, I think I retired and got busier, so it's been a little bit more complicated. Well, this year now you're doing race day, you're doing victory lane, and, of course, you're still doing NASCAR smarts. But the two shows that take a lot of your time, of course, is race day and victory lane. Yeah, and race day's just been phenomenal. Uh, Jimmy Spencer, uh, and, and, you know, you go back and Jimmy Spencer and John Roberts uh, and Kenny Wallace, you know, they've done that show for a number of years. They set the bar pretty high on what that show is uh, and race fans love that show uh, it, and it's a fun show to do Spencer has stepped out and is doing his own show called what's the deal and I don't know if you've seen it but you ought to watch it if you haven't seen it tune in to speed on Monday nights man because Spencer tells it like it is and that's what's cool about it and so we do that show for two hours uh, leading up to race time and it's been a lot of fun working with Kenny I've worked with John on NASCAR smarts and on another show called trade and paint but Kenny's pretty uh, everybody's right here and Kenny's over here somewhere so he's pretty exciting to work with well, you talk about Spence having a, a, a point of view, which everyone knows he does. You do, too. You're pretty honest. I'm going to be honest. I will tell you that. You might not like my point of view, or you might not like where I'm coming from. Uh, and, you know, it, it's funny because we were talking to some guys the other day, and I said my grandfather raced, my father raced, I raced, and I had a son that raced. Um, so motorsports is a cyclical sport. you got guys that ride the wave, and they're really on top one year, and, you know, five years later you don't even know who they are. That's just the way the sport is, the way it's always been. Um, so it's funny when you hear people kind of jump on or, or hitch their start as their wagon to somebody's start, and it's like, hey, hey, that'll run its course. It's run its course with Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt and Jeff Gordon and everybody else. It runs its course. you got to know kind of where it's at. So I'm a little bit honest about what I say. Some people don't like it. Some people do. It's just the way it is. Well, you, you know about champions in this sport with your dad, Richard. What do you think about Jimmy Johnson as a racer, as a guy that's been through this, to win the four in a row? Yeah, I don't think Jimmy gets gets the credit he deserves. Uh, that's what I think. I think he's a great race car driver. Obviously, he's with a great organization. I, I don't think the Hendricks organization gets the credit they deserve sometimes um, because of what they've done not only with, with Jimmy, but what they've done with Jeff, what they've done with Terry, what they did with Tim Richmond and Benny Parsons and Jeff Bodine and the guys and, and the people that have come through that, that stable, what Kyle Busch did with them a couple years. So I think when you look at it, um, you know, I don't think they get it. So, you know, for somebody to be the champion they are, 
they're still incredibly underrated. Um, people, people just don't like them winning. They don't like that part, but hey, they're still getting it done. And I think when you look at it, the, the level of competition that they're doing it against, against the Tony Stewart's, against the Jeff Gordons, uh, against the Carl Edwards, against the juniors, uh, against the Clint Boyers, guys like that, they're doing it against some of the toughest competition that's ever been in this sport. So when you look at it, that makes it even more impressive. Well, I'm sure there were detractors in your dad's day, too, from him. We think of him now as no one could be against the King, Richard Petty, but there were. Yeah, there were against Earnhardt. There were against the King. There were against Darrell. There were against Kale. There were against Pearson. Hey, there always are. When it's happening, uh, there always are. Uh, but like you say, hindsight's 2020, and people look back on the These are some of the fondest memories I've ever had. The, the same people that will say that in 15 years are the same people that are sitting in the grandstands cussing him right now. Well, we've all bitched about NASCAR the last few years, the COT, the wing, the start times all over the place. It looks like NASCAR has finally said, okay, we got to pay attention to you people. Start times are fixed, and now we got stock cars that look like stock cars again. We got a spoiler on them. Yeah, you know, and, and the, the spoiler is more aesthetic than it is anything else. I think, you know, I think everybody thought the wing did things that maybe it did do, and there were probably some things that it didn't do. Uh, but race fans, and especially stock car fans, grew up on the cars that you, the nationwide car, that look, uh, on the cars that my father drove, the 74 Chargers, cars like that. So when you put a wing, on them, it, it took them to a different place. And a lot of the old fans couldn't get used to it. So going back to that was a plus. Uh, but really, it's not going to change the competition on the racetrack. I think the start times were huge for the fans. I think the green-white checker was huge for the fans. A lot of the stuff that, the, that NASCAR has done, they've done specifically for the fans and for the show that goes on on the racetrack trying to make it better. And I think we've seen a better sport this year. Uh, I go back to the first three or four races of the year, to Daytona, to California, to Vegas, to Atlanta. Those were four really good races with really good excitement. Indians. And, you know, if you don't like that type of racing, then you're just not going to like stock car racing and NASCAR racing. That's all there is to it. Whether they got a wing or whether they got a spoiler, it doesn't make any difference. You're just not going to like it. So um, hopefully the fans will start to come back. You know, the economy has been our biggest issue, and I don't think it has anything to do with the sport. It's just that that piece of it. I thought for a while it might be that we used to have heroes in the sport. They were bigger than life. Your your dad was bigger than life. Dale Earnhardt Sr. was bigger than life. You go through Pearson. Uh, you go through Yarborough. I mean, you go through these guys. They were bigger than life. I'm not sure that I look at anybody right now that's bigger than life. Well, yeah, but I, and, and that's true, and that's a great analogy, the way you look at it. I think what made them bigger than life in a lot of ways were they came from where you came from. They came from your seat. Uh, you know, you, you, you could imagine Pearson just stepping out of the grandstands at some point in time, getting in a race car and becoming David Pearson or Richard Petty. Uh, they grew up in rural America. Uh, they fought their way up to be this. You know, so much of the sport with, with, with the money that's in the sport now, these guys are superstars. There's a difference in being, you know, that hero and that guy that was bigger than life and being a superstar. Uh, and a lot of these guys perceive themselves to be superstars, whether they're superstars or not. It doesn't make any difference. Um, fly around in big planes. You've got all all the trappings and all the glitter uh, of what baseball players have and football players and basketball players. And now the guy that sits in the third row, he's like, man, unless I catch the right brakes, I'm never going to be a stock car driver. You know, you go back 25 years, you're sitting in the third row and you're like, I'm going to get me a car. I'm going to be a stock car driver. I'm going to be like Richard Petty. So I think we've lost some of that. Um, and, and that's what's kind of set them. That there's not that connection like there used to be between the fans and the drivers. And I think that's hurt the sport uh, popularity-wise. I think that's been our biggest issue. 
Let's talk about some of the things you do away from the racetrack. Victory Junction Camp, awesome, awesome facility. I know uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. just gave, I think, a million bucks. The drivers always support it. Th- this project that, that started with your idea has really become something special. Yeah, it really has. When you look, you know, Kevin Harvick's getting ready to go qualify as a nationwide car. When you look at the guys uh, that have become a part of camp, Kevin comes over almost every Tuesday in the winter or in the summer and hangs out with the kids. When, when you look at what Ryan Newman's done, when you look at what Kurt Busch has done, uh, when you look at what Junior just did, and then you go Michael and Jeff and Jimmy, you know, and, and, and all those guys, it, it's truly amazing. But then you look and you say Coca-Cola and Home Depot and Lowe's, and then you look at what the NASCAR Foundation and what NASCAR has done. Uh, then you look at what Phoenix International Raceway has done, sending kids to camp. They've done, uh, you know, Sperber and those guys have been a huge supporter of camp from the very beginning. So I think when you look at it, it's like all-inclusive. It's the fans, it's the drivers, it's NASCAR, it's the promoters, it's the sponsors. So uh, it's really NASCAR in a box. We just happen to have children that, that need help and uh, are chronically ill, and NASCAR kind of provides for them. Also, your charity bike ride. Everybody loves that. That, that seems to be a really fun thing you do. Yeah, that's fun. I'll give you that. That's fun. That's a fun way to raise money for a really good cause, the camp, and that's what we do. All the money goes to the camp, uh, but it is absolutely fun, and that's all you can say about it. There's about 120 to 150 of us that ride. Uh, it changes up every year. We, we change directions. We de- take different people. Uh, this will be our 16th year. It's hard to believe we've gone for 16 years, but uh, we've given away over $13 million in 16 years, so it's, it continues to be strong. Very quickly for let you go, change in the booth with TNT. Got double uh, A up there. Yeah, you know, looking forward to Adam being up there. A couple of changes. You know, Adam Alexander uh, will be up there. Lindsey uh, Zarniak will be on the on the rig down in the infield, and that's a huge change for us at the same time. And I think when you look at that, uh, TNT has six races. They try to be progressive. If you look at our flag-to-flag coverage uh, that TNT does for for uh, the, the Coca-Cola race, the Coca-Cola Coke Zero 600, uh, the 4th of July, that's a that's something totally different than they do the other times. So I think they felt like it was time to, to mix things up. Thank, thank goodness they didn't send me back down to the pits because I'm too lazy to set out in the sun like this. But I'm looking forward to Adam. We're looking forward to you. Congratulations on all you're doing and uh, keep up the great work you're doing away from the racetrack. Thank you very much, man. It's uh, Kyle Petty. And I want to tell you, I sacrificed for that interview. We actually uh, did that yesterday in Gatorade Victory Lane. We videotaped it, and he and I were sitting there. And being a Midwestern boy, I didn't realize that the the bricks and all that are there that bake in the sun all day, if you sit on them long enough, get very, very hot on the uh, backside of your body. Uh, I was squirming pretty good by the end of it, but uh, you got to pay the ultimate sacrifice. But I tell you, Kyle Petty is really good. I, I really, uh, as a professional broadcaster, uh, like what he does on the air, and I, I think he really tells it like it is and adds a lot to uh, the speed shows and also what he is doing on TNT, and I really appreciate him taking time out and talking with us. Well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a very special program uh, in this area. Uh, One of our sponsors is involved with, and that's Heroes Helping Heroes. We will talk about that and a lot more racing as we continue with our uh, special broadcast here on the Power Up Motorsports channel from Phoenix International Raceway. Power Up, your motorsports channel. See it, read it, feel it. Welcome back to Phoenix International Raceway, where we're oh, a little over an hour away from the start of the Subway Fresh Fit 600 NASCAR Sprint Cup event. I'm Larry Henry. 
the host on Tuesday nights of Pit Pass USA here on the Motor of uh, the Power Up Motorsports Channel. We're at 8 o'clock Eastern Time, and uh, we are here uh, soaking up some rays. I understand we had some snow yesterday morning. It was Tiger home opening day, which is understandable in Detroit, even though I put the snowblower away a week ago and got the lawnmower out. But joining me now is uh, someone very, very special. In fact, he is here thanks to our one of our sponsors, uh, Brian Morris, who is the owner of the Ugly Pool Guy, just like the name along, the Ugly Pool Guy. But uh, this is a very serious uh, thing that uh, that Brian is helping support. It's called the Heroes Helping Heroes. And David Duarte is here with me who is uh, behind this. David, welcome. And tell us a little bit about uh, what Heroes Helping Heroes is. Um, Heroes Helping Heroes is an organization that is uh, dedicated to helping the families of injured and fallen police and firefighters here in the Valley. And I, I'm sure it, it does a lot of great. How long has the operation or the organization uh, been in existence? Uh, we've been in existence since 2006. And I know Brian Morris, you and I were talking about him again, uh, the owner of the Ugly Pool Guy, uh, has actually been helping you and mentoring you in, in how to grow what you are trying to do uh, with uh, the Heroes Helping Heroes. Yeah, he um, he's a very inspirational and motivational person. He... Uh, he does so much for the law enforcement and firefighter community. Um, he's just teaching me how to to get out, network. Um, he's actually providing all the marketing uh, materials that we need, T-shirts, posters, uh, actually anything that we need to get this off the ground. He's stepped up about a month and a half ago and has really just taken the lead and got us to grow by leaps and bounds. What was your impetus to start this? Um, I lost uh, family members in 9-11, New York City firemen, and uh, my brother was one of them, and uh, a couple uncles. And, you know, there was such an outpouring from the community when it happened. And uh, I've noticed as the years gone on, you know, it, it only takes special meaning to a certain group of police and firefighters and those that were involved. And um, after losing some friends here in the Valley, I, I wanted to make it my goal to never let those memories die. And I, I think it's very important. Uh, the Valley as a whole is an amazing community when it comes to fallen officers. Um, just last year, one of my best friends, Officer Paramedic Bruce Harrell from DPS, was killed. Uh, we just lost Lieutenant Shoe Handler uh, in January and DPS Officer Chris Morano in December. And as the days go on, um, the Valley gets consumed by other situations, and the families still have to live with that every single day. And it's just as our way of saying, you know, we, we're not going to forget you. You know, you talked about 9-11, and, I, and I, I'm sorry for your losses there, but we, we do honor their memory. And I, I think that's the one thing to me that stands out after 9-11. It seemed like citizens all across this country realized what firemen and policemen do on a daily basis suddenly. Maybe they had forgotten yeah, what they did. I, I think they did. And, you know, um, especially law enforcement. Um, I still have family members who are in law enforcement. And, you know, they they're there to protect and serve, but you most people see them when they're, you know, taking a bad guy away, and it gets turned into something negative. And, you know, this is a way for us to promote that as positive. As far as firemen, you know, everybody loves firefighters. They, they're they only there to help. Uh, we don't really have a lot of problem getting support from people, but um, the, the police officer side, you know, they're... They're making sure it's safe for us to go in and do our jobs, and, and they really have a thankless job. Now, you were talking about you've got an event, I think, tomorrow here in, uh, in Phoenix? Actually, Wednesday. Wednesday? Uh, Wednesday at Lakeside Bar and Grill off of Lake Pleasant and 99th Avenue. We're doing a dinner and poker night with all the money going to the 100 Club of Arizona, which is the organization that 
pays the line of duty death for fallen officers. And then this Saturday uh, at Polar Ice and Gilbert, we are doing a police fire hockey tournament. Uh, we are having Las Vegas Guns and Hoses hockey team flown in from Las Vegas, and we're going to be doing a big charity event there and having a special ceremony to honor uh, Lieutenant Eric Shuhandler from the Gilbert Police Department. Well, that's, that's great. I know you're a hockey guy. We were talking about that before since I'm Detroit, and you're now worried the Red Wings since they're healthy uh, on all of that, but that's going to be fun doing, doing a little hockey thing. Yes, it, it, it's good, and it's a, it's a great way to get uh, the community involved and see the lighter side of what uh, police and firemen do and actually a chance for them to show off a lot of their talents. How do people find out more about uh, Heroes Helping Heroes? Uh, you can go to www.arizonaheroeshelpingheroes.org. It's all spelled out, and uh, there's the event website, and everything will be on there. Well, and we also like to thank uh, Brian Morris, uh, the owner of the Ugly Pool Guy. He was one of our sponsors here. And thank him for bringing you on board and, and imparting this, this message. And hopefully uh, it's going to help you and, and get some more uh, people to help you out uh, on a very, very worthy cause. Thank you. And, yeah, w- without Brian and uh, We Fix Ugly Pools, there's no way we could even be getting the word out the way we're doing. And we really, from the bottom of my heart and the uh, families of the fallen officers, we thank you guys for doing this for us because this is going to bring a lot of attention to the organization. Well, David, thank you, and, and best of luck in, in all your work. It's, it's great work that you are doing. And uh, speaking of Davids, there's going to be a David. There's several of them actually racing today here at Phoenix International Raceway, but I had a chance to catch up with one who drives for Roush Fenway, the UPS Ford Fusion number 6, and that is David Reagan. With David Reagan, the driver of the number 6 UPS uh, Ford Fusion for Roush Fenway Racing. And David, you look at the points, it's not a good year right now, but how do you see it? Because there are so many things that go into a good year. Yeah, absolutely, and, and you need to have a good start, and, and we, we've certainly have had an up-and-down start, which isn't a good thing, um, but nevertheless, we can always work hard and dig ourselves out of a hole. Um, we've had some good cars. I'm pretty happy with the relationship that Donnie Wingo and I have. I think our team's better, our race cars are better than a year ago, but we just haven't had luck on our side, and we, and we haven't been able to put together a couple of good finishes. Um, we've had some top 10 cars at uh, Martinsville, at California, uh, Daytona. We had a car that maybe could have won, but we just haven't been able to close the deal the last 15, 20 laps of a race. So, um, you know, I'm pretty happy, like I said, with the way things have been going, not the the results have, have showed. So, you know, we just got to keep our head down and keep working hard and, and ultimately, um, you know, never give up. And, and certainly this is only, um, you know, five or six races in. We've got uh, 20-something more before we get to that cutoff point for the championship is uh, everyone racing for. But, um, you know, here at Phoenix, uh, going to some good tracks here the next few weeks, we've just got to work hard, and hopefully we can get a couple of good finishes. You mentioned your crew chief, Donnie Wingo. How has that worked out for you so far? Well, it's been uh, it's been good. Donnie and I see eye to eye on a lot of things, and it just takes time to figure out what he's thinking, what I'm thinking, and you know, when I say it's a little loose, and does that mean a, a little little or a lot of a little? So uh, it just takes some time to to get our lingo right. When you show up to a racetrack and you only have you know an hour and a half of practice here and another hour on Saturday, then you go racing. Uh, you better have your stuff straight. So so we're working hard, and I think, like I said, uh, you know, I'm happy with where we stand today. I just wish we had some better. 
finishes to show for it. Well, you start looking at the racetracks coming up. It's right into the wheelhouse of Roush Fenway Racing historically, uh, the kind of intermediate tracks, the, the mile and a half, the two miles, those type of racetracks for you. Yeah, absolutely. And our, our engineers group have really worked hard over the offseason. I feel like all the Fords are in better shape today than they were a year ago. You look at uh, hey, Greg's been pretty fast, and uh, Matt and Carl have also uh, been contenders a few weeks. So, uh, you know, it's uh, unfortunate we haven't seen Victory Lane yet, but I think any week here uh, any of the four teams can get a good run in, and uh, hopefully that number six can find it before those other guys. How tough is it, though, to watch someone like Greg Biffle second in points, Matt Kenseth third in points? They've been running really solid. You mentioned Carl Edwards. He's, he's had some pretty good races this season, too. And yet there you are towards the back in the points right now. You've got the same equipment, and people start wondering this, that, and the other. But, again, you mentioned it about circumstances on a racetrack. People kind of forget when you get caught up in somebody else's accident you get stuck back in the field. There's a lot of things that happen in a race besides being the best car out there. It is, uh, but sometimes you, you control your own destiny and things like that. And You know, we just got to continue to work hard, and certainly it's no fun for us to see our teammates up in the top five or top ten racing. But, you know, nevertheless, I think we've had some good cars. We've, uh, we've had some cars equal or better than those guys have, and we've outrun them a few times this year, but it's about consistency. Uh, you can't have one good race and then four bad ones. You have to have, you know, a lot of good ones. So, anyway, we're working hard, and we, uh, you know, we're confident in, in what we can do. And enough talk, we've just got to get out and do it. I understand that you feel really good about this season, and it's almost like your season when you were 13th in points. I mean, you feel that good or better. With, with what's been going on, it's just not the results are there. Yeah, we need to be a little bit better uh, overall, but we've been able to qualify better. We've been able to, you know, to race better. Our pit crew, uh, you know, they're better, I believe, right now than they were a year ago. And so it's just a matter of, of having a couple of good races, getting some momentum. And, yeah, you touch back to that year in, in 2008 that we had. Um, you know, it was it was really easy to run in the top ten. You know, we could run a, you know, a bad race and finish tenth. And so we need to get back to that to where we can race hard all day and, uh, you know, you make one mistake and you still finish eighth or something. So, uh, so anyway, we're working hard, but I feel like that's right around the corner. Also, you gave up doing the Nationwide uh, pretty much. I don't know if you've got any on down the road or not. Of course, Colin Brown came over full-time. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is also racing. So that kind of changed things up a little bit. But was that something you decided on your own, I want to concentrate on what we're doing on the cup level? Well, we didn't have a full sponsor to run all the nationwide races, and versus uh, just running some hit-and-miss races here, I felt like it was important to concentrate on our UPS car to really get this car back to where it was two years ago and back to winning some races and in victory lane. So we need to uh, to concentrate on our cup effort as much as we can, but maybe on down the road we'll run some nationwide races. I understand you've been working on your late model uh, cars and uh, doing a little racing? A little bit on the off weekends. I mean, we're getting into the stretch here where we don't have that many but I've raced it a couple of times this winter and uh, maybe uh, later on in the fall but basically you know from mid-April until uh, you know August or September before we start the chase we've got one off weekend so you know we, we stay busy uh, I've still got my Legends car and I'll let uh, let a couple of young guys back home drive it some and have some fun but uh, we just need to work on getting our cup program going. Now I also understand that you bought a mini donkey is that what I understand? I've got a little farm in Concord and I've got some goats and a couple of miniature donkeys and they don't uh, they don't serve any purpose other than just hanging out. Is there a reason that you you buy mini donkeys? Is it just for the aesthetics of it with, with the other animals or what is it? They were just for sale, just trying to help the economy out. I guess so. I mean that that's a little different than I hear from most drivers about buying it. But obviously there's a reason for it. You would enjoy it. You got a smile on your face right now. Yeah, they're they're fun and uh, like I said, they just hang out and um, you know, I, I'm not uh, not a guy that's gonna 
go out and buy, you know, fancy cars and, you know, fancy boats to go ride around on. So I'll get a farm animal that's cheap. Well, best of luck uh, the rest of the season, and hopefully we'll see you in the chase when uh, we get down to those final ten. We're going to be there. Thanks. That is David Reagan. Okay, buys mini donkeys for his farm in Concord, which is which is where the race shop is. Uh, Roush Fenway Racing. Uh, their race shops are right off the basically off the airport runway in Concord, where a lot of the uh, the teams are based. I mean, you land there, you can walk uh, to the race shops in in five minutes uh, from the terminal there at Concord. But I thank David for that. I'm going to probably see him in a couple of weeks. He's going to come to the Arca race down at uh, Toledo Speedway. He told me, uh, which is in May, which is about 70 miles from where I live. I always love going down there and watching the Arca race. Anyway. Anyway, uh, we are winding our way down uh, towards the start of the Subway Fresh Fit 600 here at Phoenix International Raceway. We've got about 30 minutes ourselves left on the air from here. Next up, we're going to talk to the captain. Why he's a colonel or general, I don't know. Roger Penske will return to our live broadcast here from Phoenix International Raceway on the Power Up Motorsports Channel. Feel it. Pleased to welcome to our special broadcast here from Phoenix International Raceway, uh, car owner Roger Penske. And uh, Roger, Phoenix International Raceway, you've had a, a lot of success here uh, through the years. And, and today, uh, you've got Sam Hornies Jr. starting up there third, Kurt Busch right up there in points, and uh, Brad Keselowski coming on pretty good. Well, Larry, as you know, uh, we've won a lot of races here way back uh, when you couldn't get across the track because it was to the track because the water was uh, over the road. So... Things have sure changed. We didn't really have a NASCAR race here, but I think coming into this season, uh, you know, with the teams, uh, with Brad coming on board, certainly Sam, this is a breakout year for him, and Kurt uh, coming off a great year in 2009 has really showed his strength. We really have run well, and I think the Dodges are, uh, you know, performing. Uh, we've learned a lot about aerodynamics. Our engine program is better. I just think Steve Addington's brought some leadership to the team, which is certainly helpful. Jay Guy, someone that Brad wanted. And then, of course, our nationwide boys are running well, too, with Justin and Brad. So all in all, you know, pretty good year. And, of course, we love Phoenix. It's a great market for us. We've got a lot of business out here. We've got a big automotive uh, center where we have our racing museum out in North Scottsdale. So I always like it to do well here. You mentioned Steve Addington coming over from uh, from the Gibbs shop. How much difference has he made? He had a different perspective, different type of race car, and the way they did things a little differently with Joe Gibbs racing. Well, I think that Steve is uh, quite honestly, you know, taking a view right now that, uh, you know, we have some pretty good cars. And uh, he and Kurt, as they go to the tracks where Steve has had success, they look. They maybe look at his setup, and where we've had success, they look at ours. And what they're doing is really melding the two setups together. I think that uh, Kurt has a lot of respect uh, for Steve because of his success. He obviously he's worked with his brother, so I would say that he's just been he's a common thread right now. You know, through the teams, and they work together. In fact, this morning I was over in the 12 hauler, and guess who was over there talking to Jay Guy with Steve Addington. So, you know, he's a he's a surely a team player, and we're excited to have him on. Board. Board. I don't think anyone should really be surprised that you're having the success here in the Sprint Cup because if you look at the end of last season, Kurt Busch was having very solid finishes in the in those last few races of the season, and it kind of boded well for this year. Well, I think that uh, you know one of the things that we did, uh, Tim Sendrick, who has 
president of Penske Racing and Mike Nelson, we decided to, that we would bring in a little more engineering support. And Tom German, you know, who has been so successful with us on the IndyCar side, really took over the engineering role last year, beginning of 2009. I think you started to see the benefit of that, plus our aero package. Uh, the aerodynamics that worked for us at Penske Cars, uh, when we shut that down, went to Renault Formula One. And he now is with us, so he's really brought the aero uh, detail up to you know where it needs to be. So good drivers, obviously Sam, uh, the, the, with him really breaking out. We hope in the, the, his third year and with Kurt's success last year, we ended up on a high spot. And when you think about it, we were the only ones to beat the Hendricks cars. Uh, when you get down to the the final there, finishing fourth, obviously fourth is not first. And I take my hat off to Rick and certainly Jimmy Johnson, who's an outstanding guy, person and a great driver. But I think we got good momentum, and uh, you know our goal is to try to w get to the top. You, know, you listen to the TV broadcast, and they always talk about, well, maybe the surprise is the Penske group with the Dodges. One, you're, you're on an island by yourself as far as the Dodge family goes. But it, it always amazes me they, that they're surprised or, well, look at how they're doing out there. They really shouldn't be, should they? I mean, if considering your, your history? Well, you know, it's a funny thing. We might uh, be well-known because of our IndyCar you know, successes. Uh, people forget we've, I think we've won almost 50 NASCAR races when you go back with Rusty and the teams over time. So, you know, this isn't a new sport for us, but with the likes of Childress and with Roush and Gibbs and Hendricks, uh, you know, you've got some teams that have really put the numbers on the board, but that's okay. I think that, uh, you know, we'll have our day, and uh, the most important thing is that we're consistent and that we're competitive, and I think you've seen that now at the end of last season and certainly as we started 2010. You mentioned Brad Keselowski, and you know where I was talking before we started this. I've known Brad for a long time and his family, and, of course, they're not too far from where your headquarters are back in the Detroit area where you live and where I live. Has he surprised you coming on board with the team? Well, I got to know Brad a year ago, and we had a conversation, and I really liked his M.O. I mean, he is so into the business. Uh, he's focused. He drove a truck for his dad. He's worked on his own car. He's willing to help us go out and get sponsored. To give you an idea what kind of guy he is, we were working on Ruby Tuesday uh, that, that obviously are in the restaurant business. And uh, he was at the Detroit airport and saw Ruby Tuesday. And he had someone take his picture there, and he sent that to the chief marketing guy to help us get the deal done. So, you know, he's not only thinking about driving a race car, he's thinking how to help us with sponsorships. So, to me, dedicated, understands the cars. A great team player and you can t I can tell because he's at that shop every day a real winner for us would you at some point think of going to four cars in the cup because you got a pretty good kid in Justin Allgaier who's been very strong so far in the in the nationwide series second year for him and uh, you know eventually he wants to step up well Justin is uh, really coming of his own a young man uh, when you see what he's been able to do win a race uh, you know at Bristol uh, you know was with some really top talent, uh, you know, as competition. I think that he's got a great chance in Cup. But, you know, it's got to happen. we got to have sponsors. You know, today, you know, having a full sponsorship on four cars is difficult. But, look, right now we're focusing on, uh, you know, finishing out this season, and then we'll see where we go. Okay, let's turn our attention to IndyCar right now. Will Power coming out like gangbusters, wins the first two races, sitting in the pool at Barber uh, tomorrow in Alabama, where I'm sure you'll be up there in the pit boxes, always uh, making calls during the race. But, man, what a start to the season this for this young man. Well, when you think about it, uh, you know, he's really 
won the last three races that he's run for us. You know, he won in in, in Canada, then he had his accident, didn't run anymore, and then he won the first two. So he's an outstanding young man, uh, you know, very dedicated. I think physical fitness is at the top of his mark, and he's got himself in great shape, and uh, he knows how to get a car around a racetrack. Uh, humble, humble guy. A great team player working well with Briscoe and Elio, and I think that he's making us better. He's pulling our guys; they're pushing him. And to me, it's going to be about execution. And you know, we got some great uh, competition this year. When you look at how close the grid is, it almost looks like a NASCAR grid to a certain extent. You know, that's important. Uh, and had 24 cars at the race, and you see some new names up there. But you know, Will Power, I guess. Uh, you know, he's uh, he's the guy to beat on these road circuits, and we'll see what happens, uh, you know, at Barber, um, you know, on Sunday. But I think you're going to see him very competitive at Long Beach. And, and I told him as we go into Kansas City or Kansas that what he has to do is get a good, solid run on an oval. Then he'll be really ready because that's how the guys really propel themselves into an Indy win. Speaking of Indy, it's about a month away. Can you do it again? Well, we're not going there to wear out our good clothes, I can tell you that. <laughs> Well, I know Elio's chomping at the bit to get a number four and join Rick Mears up there. Well, it'll be great. And Elio knows how to run the speedway. I mean, he is so good there. And I think the guys that have had this success know how to win that race. And, you know, with Cindric being his tactician uh, and, and really running the box for him, he's going to be tough. Certainly, Briscoe will be a great, had a good chance last year. And Will on a roll. So we'll see. We're going to have three good guys. Roger, thanks much. Good luck today and good luck tomorrow. Larry, thank you. Always a pleasure. Thanks. That is the captain, Roger Fenske. And uh, the Indianapolis 500 is the big enchilada for him. And when you look at uh, the success he has had there, I've lost track. I think it's 15 Indianapolis 500 wins now uh, as an owner. His license plate, I believe, now is 1ND15. And so he wins another, and he'll change it to 1ND16. That's his license plate in the state of Michigan. Uh, he actually lives not too far from I'm I'm in the slum area compared to Roger. Uh, but it is is kind of neat. But Indianapolis and uh, the Speedway has been so great for him. And Alio going for four in a row, just like Rick Mears did uh, for him. And you go back through the years and the great drivers he had. He's pretty, he's pretty special. And in NASCAR, uh, he's been around a, a long, long time. And they only do one thing. And his son, Jay Penske, now has his own IndyCar team. Lusco Dragon. Uh, racing that is also teaming up with Gilles DeFerrin, who drove for Roger Penske and won at Indianapolis. Uh, so uh, there's another Penske in the wings that's uh, going to be involved uh, in auto racing, and so it's great. And I thank Roger for allowing me to stop by the uh, the motor coach uh, this morning and talking with him. Well, we are winding it down. We've got about uh, 20 minutes left here and about 50 minutes before they uh, get into uh, really, gentlemen, start your engines today for the uh, Subway Fresh Fit 600 here at Phoenix International Raceway. Back to wrap things up with some special young guests. We continue our live broadcast from Phoenix International Raceway here on the Power Up Motorsports Channel. Power up your motorsports channel. See it, read it, feel it. Welcome back to Phoenix International Raceway. We are live. It is race day. In fact, the race is about 45 minutes away here this afternoon in the Valley of the Sun, where it's about uh, 89 degrees as they get ready to run uh, 600 kilometers. It's the uh, 
Subway Fresh Fit 600, 600 kilometers. Do that. 1.6 kilometers per mile equals, and you got to do all that. But they've added 63 laps. No finish under the lights tonight here. Now we've got uh, three special young gentlemen with me. They're from uh, Arizona State University. I've actually been there on campus. I did a basketball game there many, 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 many uh, moons ago, uh, back when Bill Frieder was the head coach because he had left Michigan, of course. <clears throat> Uh, and then our interim head coach went on to win the uh, national title, which I happened to uh, broadcast, Steve Fisher, so I happened to get a chance to visit Arizona State many years ago. But I've got three young men. I tell you what, I'm going to let you introduce yourself so I don't do anything bad to your name. So let's start from the far end. My name is Vaughn Hilliard. I'm a freshman over at Walter Cronkite School of Journalism studying broadcast journalism. My name is Rudy Rivas. I'm a sophomore over at the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism, broadcast journalism. My name is Michael Michelle. I am the president for the Society of Automotive Engineers over at ASU. Wait a minute. we got two journalist students and an SAE guy. How did that work? <laughs> a little different. A little yeah. different. Uh, yeah, they, they, you know, here we got guys in the Walter Conkite School of Journalism, and uh, now, now I've got to uh, get my act together uh, here this afternoon during this show. First, Michael, let's talk about SAE. I know about that because we have the big SAE convention uh, in Detroit every year, the Society of Automotive Engineers. You've got to be in seventh heaven when you're out at a racetrack like this with all the technology you see. Absolutely. Looking under the cars, checking out the, what each team is running, how they're setting up their configuration. It's definitely a dream to get to look at uh, what other teams are doing. Well, I would tell you this. Tim Sindrick, who is the president of Penske Racing, uh, graduated from Rose Holman Institute of uh, Technology in Terre Haute, Indiana. I didn't make it. I made it my sophomore year and got out before they kicked me out. Uh, <laughs> but he went on, and now he is the president of Penske Racing and mechanical engineering background. So nice. there might be a big future for you uh, down the road in motorsports. That sounds good to me. You know, and you, you just got to go around and uh, get your name out there and work with the teams and all. And now we've got uh, two journalism students. And both of you uh, also work uh, here with the track? Yeah, we're part of uh, Phoenix International Raceway, the Pit Notes team. So we're down there on Pit Road, you know, during the race and, you know, before and after. Vaughn, well, what do you do as the Pit Note guy? A lot of people don't understand what's going on. I do because I work uh, at various racetracks. But tell, tell people what you do in the job. So pretty much what we do is we cover the practices, we cover, cover qualifying, and we kind of take that all the way up till race time. And during the race time, we cover a large number of different pits. And what we do is we go and talk to the different crews. We find out what exactly changes were made to the vehicle. We report it back up to the press box who then notifies the other publications and other media outlets exactly what took on during um, each of the public or each of the pit stops yeah all these racers they have these at every racetrack and they've got headsets on and they're talking back and forth and say okay so and so did this they had this problem that problem and it helps the journalists out uh, who are stuck a lot of them are upstairs in the press box watching from upstairs and they can't be down here and they want to know what happened so they can write the story so it's a very big part of this both of you at the walter cronkite school of uh, journalism rudy what area of journalism is it broadcast journalism yeah, broadcast. That's my, that's my major. Can I sway you away from that? I, the broadcast <laughs> industry is not what it used to be. Trust me. <laughs> I know. Everyone tells me, you know, it's a sinking industry, but I'm sticking with it. Okay. Because I, I think, and I'm going to speak impartially here, although I'm with Voice America and everything else, the, the Internet's the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I hear that all the time. I mean, online media. I mean, we have to take those kind of classes at the school, so yeah. they're teaching us. <laughs> what, what do they teach you these days? Because uh, I remember some of the journalism schools when I when I got out of trying to be an engineer and went actually to Indiana University uh, and was in radio and TV and political science, and I took a lot of journalism classes at Ernie Pyle uh, building there. What what kinds of courses are they teaching I mean, and you're going through now? They're teaching you everything to be a one-man band. you got to tweet. you got to do online stuff. you got to video everything. you got to write everything, everything. you got you know, you got to do everything by yourself. Well, what, what do you think Walter Cronkite would say about tweeting? right now or having your own Facebook fan page. 
you'd probably laugh and say, hey, thank goodness I'm not around anymore, just because, I mean, the computers are just absurd, and the whole aspect of social media and how fast it's changing. I mean, I think for him, it'd just be crazy just to see the developments of this all just in the last year alone. I mean, what we've seen from Twitter and the Facebook, it's amazing how rapidly developing it is. And then, Michael, I, I know Arizona State's also involved uh, here with uh, PIR. Yes, sir. Uh, what, what? Talk a little bit about that program. Uh, we have been setting up, uh, trying to get some track time, getting a little bit of sponsorship, trying to help out with uh, Power Up Channel as best we can, trying to get uh, networking through the system, and uh, kind of just trying to diversify our our area throughout the racing using uh, PIR. And I understand our Zarina Stephanie Paulus has been involved with this. Yes, sir. Oh, I feel sorry for you. No, she's doing a great job. She's <laughs> helping us out quite a bit. What, what have you guys been, been learning being involved with this with PIR and what, what Stephanie's uh, been doing? Networking. Quite possibly the biggest thing is the networking. There is who you know and is much better than what you know in uh, motorsports, I'd say. Well, you're a, you're a senior, and we've got a sophomore and, and freshman here, so the networking is really big for you right now because you're looking you're looking for a gig. <laughs> yes, sir. I'd say when you're talking about um, what this is, I think this uh, November was the first time I'd ever come out to a race, and I've always watched NASCAR. I followed NASCAR, but never made it out to a race. And I think it's kind of like you need how you go about in the media, showing what goes on here and showing it to the public, the people that are watching it at home or listening to it on the radio. How do you kind of be that middle man? And so I've kind of learned some different things here. What would I want to show the people back at home that I would have liked to? scene, kind of the elements of it outside of here, just the whole atmosphere of it, bring it to the people at home. Well, the other thing, too, is on the journalism side of NASCAR, it's a situation where you can't plan. You've got to react yeah. and report to, to what's going on. Uh, and I've been involved in motorsports for longer than I, like, I think they ran chariots uh, back <laughs> when, when I first started with this. But, but things happen in this, and unfortunately, we've been through, I've been through, uh, deaths of drivers, deaths of race fans. I mean, it's not, a, you know, a very good thing that you want to be around, but it's yeah. part of the sport, and you have to report and you have to get the facts right. But you, you have to do it in a timely manner. And I'm assuming that th this helps you being around racing because of the the immediacy of what's going on. Yeah, I mean, you can be in the classroom; they can teach you, you know, all the ethics, all you know, the things you're supposed to do. But it's totally different until you get out here. I mean, you gotta, you know, if somebody crashes in qualify, you're not gonna have a prepared question, you know, for Dale Jr. if he crashes in qualify for, for anybody. So you gotta just be on your toes and be ready at all times. That's a good proving ground uh, for that. And and uh, Michael, have you worked with any race teams or gotten involved with them? I mean, Bob Bonderitz out here, obviously, uh, with his race school and all. Have you, have you gotten in that? Or is that an area you want to be in uh, with your engineering degree, or is there some other area that you want to look at? Um, no, motorsports is absolutely where I'd like to be. I've gotten to work with uh, F1000 team a little bit, do some more of the formula kind of racing, open-wheel racing. Never gotten into Bob Bondurant or any sort of uh, oval track racing, but anything would be an option for me i wouldn't i wouldn't set anything aside absolutely i know you know i've known guys that have been open wheel guys I mean, all you got to just look at this nascar garage right now there's a lot of open wheel guys i mean santa Martin's jr won the indy 500 juan montoya won the indianapolis uh 500 uh jeff gordon was an open open wheel guy aj allmendinger was an open wheel guy I mean, you just go down through that there's a lot of open wheel guys that are in stock car and i remember in the old days at the indianapolis 500 we had a lot of stock car guys that raced at the indianapolis 500 every year so it's, it's getting your foot in the door, and if you're good, you're good, and they'll come knocking. Trust me. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's what I'm looking forward to. I'll be your, I'll be your mentor. How's that? <laughs> That's I'll, perfect. I'll help you out here. But, uh, Teach me what you got. If you're good and you know what you're doing and you're out there, they will find you. 
they want, whether you're a race car driver, whether you're an engineer, and they are looking for the best talent available uh, on these race teams. I think we got some good guys. I'm going to definitely put myself at the top because I want a job. <laughs> <laughs> You've got those college loans to pay off, do you? Oh, yeah. That's going to be fun. Yeah. They, they, they never go away. They never go away. But it, it's good. And I'm glad you guys are involved with this program I, and Phoenix International Raceway to be involved uh, with Arizona State and all the program and, and giving everyone an opportunity to actually get some hands-on experience. I think that's great. I, I think all of you probably have, uh, have grown and, and it's helped you as you prepare to take that next step. The two of you, three years, a couple of years, a couple of weeks. Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> over here. But uh, good luck in all you do. And uh who knows where we'll see you next? Maybe you two, you know, network TV if it's still around in a couple <laughs> more years. Uh, and uh, maybe we'll see you with uh, one of the big-name race teams in there. And I'll go, I, I knew him when. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank, thank you. Thank, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Arizona State University, great place uh, down in, in Tempe. I actually played their golf course once, and I'm glad I made it to the very end. I thought I was never going to get done. I'd like to thank everybody that's uh, been a part of our uh, live broadcast today. I'd like to thank Brian Sperber, the president of Phoenix International Raceway, and his entire staff. I want to tell you, we have put them through more things than you can really uh, even put down on paper uh, the last few days with all of our requirements and things that we needed to have done. And they have bent over backwards uh, to help us put this uh, together. The first time that we have done this uh, live from Phoenix International Raceway in conjunction with them. And we want to thank them and thank them and thank them uh, for everything they've done. I'd also like to thank uh, all the various people that also... Uh, gave us interviews uh roger penske i was over in the motorhome motor coach but we were actually watching the masters for a while before i did the interview with him uh chip ganassi who i've known uh, kyle petty was gracious enough to uh, come over and, uh, and talk with us uh david reagan and of course we had uh, other conversations uh with the drivers here and uh, and all of our uh sponsors today ear which has uh, brought in a lot of the broadcast equipment for us uh today gary takas from the uh, takas learning center uh, top-notch transportation Adam uh, Burkhalter there, and of course, uh, the ugly pool guy, Brian Morris. Uh Unfortunately, he couldn't be here, but uh, also the great program with uh, Heroes Helping Heroes that uh, he is helping support. Uh, we want to thank all of them for uh, making this possible. We also want to thank everyone that listened today. Uh, we'd love uh, to get your comments. If you want to, you can actually send them to me, and I will pass them along. Uh, Larry Henry at pitpassusa.com is my email address, Larry Henry at pitpassusa.com, and uh, we will send them along. And also like to thank uh, all of our hardworking crew that has uh, been out here. We'll start with the, the top dog. I think his name's on the bottom of the check for a lot of people that are here. Jeff Spinard, uh, who is uh, the head man of Voice America and the uh, Power Up Motorsports uh, channel. Ryan Treasure's put in a lot of hours. Uh, he is the vice president of broadcast operations. Ruben uh, Klum, uh, operations manager uh, here. Justin Jackman, uh, he's on camera. Let's see. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to read Stephanie's writing, so excuse me if I cannot read uh, some of these. Uh, Mike Oh, Mike, we mentioned Mike, okay. Uh, Mike Mitchell, our audio tech. And it has here Stephanie Paulus, the Network Princess. I had her down as Zarina, but Network Princess, if that's what she wants, uh, that'll work. She is the one that actually came up with the Power Up Motorsports channel. We kicked this off last June, right? Last June is when we, we started this. And I think at the very beginning it was just uh, Michael Knight and myself. <laughs> that was about it. Uh, and, oh, thank Michael Knight. 
uh, for doing the one hour today and uh, the race reporters. He is Wednesday night, 7 o'clock Eastern time uh, here on the Power Motorsports channel. And my uh, program, Pit Pass USA, is Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock uh, Eastern time. And we hope you do uh, tune in. Hope you've enjoyed everything today. We've had a great time. We're getting ready to go watch some racing and uh, see what's going to happen out here on the racetrack. And who knows, we may do this again in November. We've got a lot of things coming up. Uh, and also, tell your friends and neighbors about uh, the Power Up Motorsports channel. We've got some great shows outside of Michael's show and my show that we have, and we're expanding, and we're adding more and more uh, programs all the time. Uh, tell your friends and neighbors about it. And if you miss us, guess what? You can go to iTunes and catch it there. And we're also going to have a lot of video from uh, what we did this weekend out here at uh, Phoenix International Raceway. Again, uh, thank all of you guys that are out here that are I'm looking out there that have uh, got all the shirts on for the Power Up channel and Voice America. You guys have made it really, really easy for me uh, to work my way through. And again, thanks to Brian Sperber and everyone at Phoenix International Raceway. And I will uh, next talk to you on Tuesday night when I am back in the Detroit area doing Pit Pass USA at 8 o'clock Eastern Time. Thank you all and hope you have a great race weekend. And don't forget, coming up shortly on Fox Television will be the Subway Fresh Fit 600. Have a great weekend.